Driving that coach. 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 It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. <laughs> I thought that was appropriate to start this damn podcast with everything that's going on, but let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, welcome to another edition of Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> just like I was singing, it's fucking chaos out here, man. People losing their shit. Around the world, man, particularly around this country, though, but yeah. We are currently in Los Angeles, California. It was just announced today that we are currently on lockdown. Uh, I, I think that means like nobody can come in or can go out of the state of California. Yep. Uh, so yeah, they recently shut down um, San Francisco completely. Like they got to, sh- they had, they like, have to stay in shelter and shit. It's something like three, four counties, I think, surrounding it. They shut down. Yeah, pretty much the Bay Area is shut yeah. down right now. Which is crazy. Which, I mean, you know, if you really look at it, Mm -hmm. again, I'm not saying you shouldn't be careful. Like, obviously, watch out for yourself. But um, they had homeless people shitting in the middle of the streets and shooting up all kinds of drugs for Mm -hmm. legitimately years now. In fact, I I heard a horrible story about a woman who got on a BART train Mm -hmm. about a year and a half ago and got stuck by a needle when she sat down. And so she's been having to undergo... HIV and AIDS testing, I think it's every uh, every three months uh, for 18 months just to see if she had anything. So yeah. that, eh, business as usual. This, yeah. well, I mean, look, we're all living through the same ridiculousness. Yeah. Unless you're in Wyoming. Yeah. For some reason, I was looking at Wyoming, and they seem to be like, yeah, we're going about our business. We got stuff to do. <laughs> it's the only time I would rather be in Wyoming. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, look, dude, if we could get a cabin up there, we could be doing podcasts every single day. That'd be dope. Smoking cigars, yeah. grilling. Yeah. I mean, that would be, be, that be, be kind of dope, actually. And it's gorgeous up there. Yeah. I mean, it's still cold this time of year, but it's gorgeous. Yeah. But uh, as far as L.A. County goes, uh, we're basically, uh, we're not shut down, per se. They're encouraging self-quarantines and social distancing. And uh, also, we can't be at gatherings of more than I think ten to fifteen people. That was the most I heard. Well, down uh, I've, heard, I've heard some. I heard some estimates say only five people. Down in Orange County, we're not supposed to gather with anybody. But yeah. I drove up to Orange County for a one-on-one. But don't worry, folks. We we have a sound barrier between us because this is our first dual mic uh, yeah. episode. We have a, we actually have a legit sound barrier we're, between we're, us. Well, you know, we're about six feet, pretty yeah. close to it. Yeah, five and a half. I want to touch him, but I can't. He's got to keep his hands to himself. I got to keep my hands to myself. But, uh, yeah. (laughs) And also, like, if you want to go to a restaurant or anything like that, it has to be takeout. You can't dine in or anything like that. But, yeah, just shut down the movie theaters. Shut down the cigar lounges. No no gyms, nothing. Yeah, I mean, everything. It's it's a rough thing. I mean, look, if... If you're uh, if you're looking to work out, you can always still go for a run down the street, you know, do something at your house and whatever. I mean, that that kind of stuff's nice. So I was able to hang out with my wife and do that earlier today. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to do a lot of grilling, which is nice. I'm saving a lot of time not sitting on the freeway. But yeah, uh, as we'll get into when we hit the um, uh, the, the news segment, it's hit the industry really hard. Yes, it has. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into our regular stuff. So let's start off with our Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy which I can connect any major American film star to the great Eddie Murphy. Now, what names do you have for me this week, AJ? Well, of course, because of this particular episode, we got to start off with Jack Nicholson. 
All right, cool. All right, so uh, oh yeah, super fucking even. Okay, so uh, Jack, <laughs> uh, Jack was in. I'm trying to think of a good connection here because this has so many. Ah, he's been better. in so much. It's hard not. Let's, to connect let's go. With, uh, let's go. I'll keep it simple. Uh, Jack Nicholson was in Preezy's Honor with Angelica Houston. Angelica Houston was in Daddy Daycare with Eddie Murphy. All right. So, Warren which, Beatty. Uh, well, I was gonna say I'm actually gonna mention Angelica Houston a little bit later too, but she's yeah. she's kind of pivotal to Jack's story. Also, bit. okay, but I go uh, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. So, okay, Warren Beatty was in Bullworth with Halle Berry. Halle Berry was in uh, Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. Remember Bullworth? It's just way too quick. <laughs> no, but you remember Bullworth? Though, <laughs> of course, I remember yeah, Bullworth. Yeah, it's a look. It's a fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, get a superstar. <laughs> that is what you are. Sadly enough, it's almost reality at this point. I know. It's crazy. All right. Uh, one more. One more. You know what? Just for the fun of it, Donald J. Trump. And don't say he hasn't been in feature films. I know he has been in feature films. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good one. Oh, okay. I got you. Right here. All right. So he was in uh, Home Alone 2 with Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin was in... Uh, i trying to think of a good one. Oh, yeah. Ah, okay. He was in uh, The Good Son with Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood was in Sin City with Michael Clark Duncan. Uh, yeah, Michael Clark Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan was in The Players Club with Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx was in Dreamgirls with Eddie Murphy. All right, fair enough. You, you kind of you kind of look confused there when I saw Michael Clark Duncan was in the Players Club. He wasn't a no, player. No, I know, I know. Yeah, he was a uh, the bounce. He was you like, can't tell because of the barrier. He was Luther. He was in Luther. He was Luther Campbell's bouncer no, I don't or whatever. Know. I mean, yeah, okay. He had a small small one. I mean, it's almost like if mm-hmm. you want to try to bring up uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. in uh, in Coming to America, America yeah. most people miss that he's getting his hair cut. That's right. Because he doesn't get to say nothing. All right, so I got those three names uh, with Jack Nicholson. Warren Beatty. Uh, Warren Beatty and uh, President Donald J. Trump. President Donald J. Trump. <laughs> whatever. All right, so I got those names now. All right, now. Don't sound so excited, Mr. Quarantine. <sighs> Fuck this. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to get political on this show. Let's continue. All right, so. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted too, motherfucker, with all no, this shit going no, on. No, no, no. No, no, I'm not going to. Let's I'm keep it with what we got. All right, so let's go ahead and continue with uh, WWBS. What would Busey say? Uh, we're going to do a rant. Uh, uh, through the eyes of Mr. Gary Goddamn Busey. Well, well, AJ, what are we ranting about obvious today? Obvious, what we're ranting about today. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> See, he gets too excited and he starts breaking stuff. Oh yeah, that's that good. <sighs> no, we're going to be um, discussing Mr. Busey's uh, personal opinions, or rather, hearing Mr. Busey's personal opinions mm-hmm. about quarantines. Because well, it's just yeah. spot on. What do I think about quarantines? Well, I'll tell you. Quarantines are bullshit. I like to do a little quarantine every once in the blue moon just to kind of recalibrate the old homeostasis type thing. Uh, usually what I do is I'll go into the woods, possibly somewhere in the Oregon, and I commune with nature, you know, I might, you know, strip all my clothes off, you know, run with the wolves for a little bit, you know, just kind of get my get my nature on. Might take down a deer, you never know, you know, take down a deer, you know, feast upon its flesh, 
just get my mind right and then come back to humanity. Now, what's going on right now in terms of the world with they're trying to tell everybody to quarantine themselves? Uh, me, personally, I think that's a horrible idea because a lot of these people are not meant to be cohabitating together as it is. Now that they have to quarantine and they have to actually sit there and look at each other after a while, they're going to be frustrated over little shit about the person that they love. Like, why do you look the way you look? You know, why do you breathe the way you breathe? You know, why aren't you this person? Why aren't you that person? Why do you like this bullshit? You're going to hear a lot of that, lady. There's also going to be a lot of uh, uh, Sagittarius is born in the future because there's going to be a lot of fucking going on during these uh, uh, quarantines. I know that's what I'm doing. Uh, actually, if I, if I could be candid for you a little bit, I had a little uh, meeting with Dolly Parton a couple days ago. And uh, I'm not going to say what all happened, but I will say this. They are real, buddy. <laughs> uh, tiger blood. You know, it wasn't as intense as I was worried it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your influence on Busey these yeah, days. I know. I know. You know what? I'm trying to be a peaceful influence on Gary. But Gary has his moments. <laughs> trying to be a positive influence on the great Gary Busey. Gary has his moments, though. All right, now, let's go ahead and get into goddamn dropping that news. Dropping that news. All right, so just like uh, uh, AJ alluded to a little bit earlier, yes, the coronavirus and all that bullshit has hit Hollywood hard. Yep. Um, mainly, number one is the fact that, you know, celebrities are catching in. It's getting everybody scared. The uh, the main ones I know of right now at the top of my head are uh, Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson. They're currently quarantined in Australia. Uh, Aegis Elba. Well, wait. So, yeah, hold yeah, on. Yeah. So just we're sticking, sticking on with because yeah. it just it bothers me. I got to point it out. What? Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson were released from quarantine. Yeah. And the part that bothers me was the tweet they sent out. Yeah. Which was, there are a million survivors. Make that a million and one. I'm sorry, but it's, it's a damn cold. Like, yeah, unless, yes, yes. unless you're okay, old you know enough what? or you I'm, have... Like, I'm, I've look, been trying to hold a fellow, thing. As yeah. a fellow diabetic, yeah. Yeah. I understand that we're slightly more likely to have an issue. Yeah. But, dude, you're not in your 90s. You're not in your 80s. You don't have it. Like, it's not prostate cancer. You didn't... It's Like, I have friends, honestly, that I've watched, like, survive breast cancer. Shit like that that's yeah. really, truly life-threatening. Yes. And, again, I'm not advocating for it. I don't want people to get it, but... For God's sakes, man, like, come on, dude. I love Tom Hanks. I love him as an actor, but that for me was just like... It's the flu, basically. Dude. You catch the flu. You're just feeding into it, you know? Dude! Just step back a little. That's what it was... That's what, okay, you know what? I'll, that's just I, me. I'll try, no, no, you know what? I'm at, I was trying to avoid this, but, you know, I got to get down to it. Real shit, this is really just the flu. Now, the people that it is affecting... Uh, think, look about the demographic that it affects. People over their 50s... With Over uh, 65. Uh, well, 50, uh, I've heard 50. 50 but, like, 50's on the low end where they'll, they'll get it, it'll be a little yeah, more, but the mortality yeah. rate kicks in usually around 60, 65. Yeah. Unless there's other with, with, underlying. Yeah, yeah, with well, the, yeah. But even for younger people, like yeah. if it's going to be a problem in your 40s and 50s, it's usually there's an underlying health condition, some mm. kind of a respiratory issue, mm. like cystic fibrosis, stuff like that's like now, legitimately potentially a problem. Now think about that. I just described basically all of Congress. Yeah. So that's why... They kind of tripping on this right now. Like, you know what? It could get us. <laughs> That's why they tripping. And goddamn it, if we if we gonna get we at risk, everybody's at risk. We shutting everything down. This is recession bait, there bro. Might be something to it. I, I think there know. is. That's just me. You know, I'm, I'm, but, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop but, for. I'm gonna but stop. But I will say, yeah. 
uh, as somebody who's now been furloughed, it's mm-hmm. frustrating. Yes. I know there's a lot of other folks getting furloughed right now. Um, I know pretty much everyone who's below the line worker in Hollywood mm-hmm. has been furloughed. Um, I was fortunate I was one of the last because the, the company I work with, what we do, we're all logistics. We mm-hmm. move stuff from A to B. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, if you're going to shut down a show, mm-hmm. you got to have somebody to pick it up and put it into storage, which we did, but yeah. now we're out of shows to put into storage. Yeah. Um, I think we're messing up a lot of people's lives for a lot of stuff that could have maybe been handled a little better, but... yeah. What do I know? I'm just a film guy. No, no, no. That's exactly what it is, dude. And like, and basically the whole I'm get gonna, down I'm is. I'm gonna you know, go ahead and uh, and defer to your medical expertise since you have medical expertise. Trust me. Like, <laughs> As a corpsman, you no, know a lot more than no, I do. Ba- no, basically, uh, <laughs> in terms of this, you basically uh, pointed out most of the main things about this shit, man. Uh, but um, but you know what? Here's mm-hmm. the good news. What's up? We're able to get together. Mm-hmm. We're able to do another drop in that culture. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but I got to say, between California and Michigan, mm-hmm. we've managed to put together a pretty solid base of folks that like what we're saying. Yeah. Keep sharing that. Keep promoting it. Keep Please. telling your friends. Please and do. we're going to keep doing this because it's yeah. fun for us. Yeah, so goddamn, we're going to fight the fucking system. We are going on. <laughs> Dropping that culture is about that culture. We're here for you guys. Support us. We support you, okay? But back to the topic. So back to the news. <laughs> back to the topic in hand after that goddamn digression. <laughs> You know what grinds his gears? Yeah, for real, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> but like I was saying, um, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, they just got out of quarantine. Yeah. Idris Elba announced a couple days ago that he has it. No symptoms, but he has it. Because that's the thing. Yeah. is a lot of folks get it, yeah. and they don't have it. I mean. Yeah, no symptoms. But yeah. anyway, we'll digress yeah, yeah, back yeah, into yeah, the yeah. grinding of the gears. God damn it, AJ. Let me talk. And the most recent major one I heard is a. Uh, uh, basketball star Kevin Durant has it, yeah. and also a couple of his teammates on the New Jersey Nets. Um, uh, most you know, of the, basically, you know, uh, I, I kind of hope they find out it's like mono, and they've all been sharing drinks. You know, basically, all of the productions in Hollywood have been shut down. Uh, Not basically, all, literally, all, all of them. The all only, them the only down. stuff that's mm-hmm. still filming or recording at this point yeah. is either. I mean, if you're doing, if you can do it from home, if it's something like you're doing a, an animated series, something like that, those mm-hmm. folks can still work. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's news. Yep. That's it. It's all the media outlets that are doing the news and, and reporting. That's it. Everybody yeah. else shut down. Everybody else shut down. Movies delayed. Music TV videos shut delayed. down. The whole thing. TV's delayed. Everything. So again, it's like I said, like uh, it's a virtual ghost town in Los Angeles right now, which is crazy to say. I was telling AJ um, before I we went on the air. I drove from Burbank to Orange County in 20 minutes. And that is nearly impossible any other day. Well, dude, I, I was telling you, my last day uh, in the office yesterday, I drove from north, uh, actually about central Orange County, to North Hollywood. And I'm talking North North Hollywood, almost Pacoima. Mm-hmm. It's about 65 miles, mm-hmm. 50 miles away I went. Um, I did that whole thing in about 40 minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. I was doing 70 miles an hour the whole way. It was ridiculous. A lot of people are just astonished that there's no traffic. There's less traffic now. They're probably doing like the holidays or anything of that sort. Like, yeah. Literally, the only time I've ever seen traffic this good is during the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I did a pickup at the airport one time for somebody. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I've ever seen it this good. Yeah. I mean, three yeah. in the morning, it's never this good. Yeah. And uh, that's what I that's what I was doing like three, four in the morning, and boom, like nothing. It wasn't mm-hmm. even speeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically in shut down Hollywood, man. So yeah, there really is no news other than the fact that it's a couple of people caught it, and we're basically I mean, just waiting. I'm seeing but, some people yeah. recycling a few things that were, you know, out there announcements for projects. Like Chris Evans has a project coming out. A couple mm-hmm. of things that were 
I mean, they're just small announcements, but there's nothing actually filming. There's nothing new to see. Yes. It's just, you know, a couple of things happening on the lowdown as far as potential future projects. So there's going to be a lot of Netflix and chill going on right now. Oh, but actually, on that side, have you seen this new Netflix thing where you can uh, watch with friends? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I mean, unless you, you know, at that point, you might as well just be logging on and listening to, uh, you know, one of our watch-alongs. Yeah, basically. Because otherwise, like, I don't want somebody talking yeah. through it. We're I'm going to watch Better yeah, Call Saul. Yeah, I want to yeah. watch Better Call Saul. Yeah, yeah. We're, gonna, we, we, we're a source of entertainment. Like, freaking, I'm pretty sure, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping this will happen, that our downloads will fucking increase because of this thing. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it's just, but yeah, not, I mean, not, not, not saying we're benefiting from this, but at the same time, I'll like, tell you, you this know, much. As we continue to uh, increase our production values here for folks, uh, I am going to try to look for other ways to help do some advertising for us because I think once people get back to work, they're going to be looking for uh, for some new podcasts for drive time because as yeah. good as the traffic is now, it's going to be 10 times worse. Exactly. <laughs> once so. we get back to normal in Ooh, L.A. Oh, it's going to be. Oh, it's going to be. <laughs> this is a change of life, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people thinking this is going to be temporary. No, this is a complete change of life because of like the extension of the period that they're supposed to be trying to do this. They talking about shutting down New York till September. People talk about a lot of stuff. But, I, I, yeah. I I posted a yeah. uh, a meme today on Dropping That Culture's Facebook page. Which if you mm-hmm. don't follow it, like it, follow it. Please get do. some good content in there. Yeah, um, it's of uh, Charlie Kelly in an episode of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philly, where he's like basically conspiracy theory guy. Yeah. It says, make sure to check on your conspiracy theory friends. They're having a really hard time right now. They're definitely not okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's a, it's holy shit, dude. Like, I've got yeah. enough friends from all different walks of life, yeah. all different ends of the political spectrum. Yeah. On the left side, all kinds of weird, crazy stuff that I'm hearing. Some of the guys on the right side, some mm-hmm. crazy stuff that I'm hearing. And then mm-hmm. guys who are in the middle who are just like, you know, burn the whole system down, anarchist, weird stuff. Like, there's yeah. if you dig around for five minutes on Facebook, you're going to mm-hmm. see and hear some weird shit yeah. and weird theories. Yeah. But basically, the gist of the news is Hollywood shut down. I will say one thing that I did see online uh, during this whole crisis. Uh, rest in peace to uh, great boxer yeah. Roger Mayweather, uh, uncle of uh, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, he passed away uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, during this whole get down, man. It's... Like he was a great fighter, fought for years and years, and also a great, great trainer. trainer. Great trainer, uh, uh, trained so many people, including Floyd and people like uh, uh, I believe, he tra- like you know, like I think I think he trained Ricky Hatton. I know at one point, yeah. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, just a uh, great, great trainer, you know, great fighter, and uh, may he rest in peace. And that has been dropping that news. Dropping that news. Right. You know something I just realized? What's up? We didn't do the proper intro for Eddie Murphy. You sure did. <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get a perfect one of those recorded and yeah. we'll just drop it in moving. Yeah, forward. this is just off the top of the head right here. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, but let's go ahead and get into the meats and potatoes of this particular podcast. Uh, like I said, last week we did a good uh, deep dive into the great Bill Murray. We're going to do mm-hmm. another great this week. Jack Nicholson. One of my all-time favorite actors. Basically, most of people's all-time favorite actors. He's one of those actors who they've always referred to as a, a kind of guy who can chew the scenery. Yeah, the goat, man. One mm-hmm. of the goats. He definitely. just he can go and go and go. Yeah. He's been imitated and du- but never duplicated so many times, man. Now, I have a great quote here from a, a film critic named um, David Thompson about Jack. Nicholson is the Hollywood celebrity that's almost like a character in an ongoing novel of our times. He is also the most beloved of stars. Even uh, Not even his huge wealth, 
reckless aging, or the public disasters in his private life can distract us from this. For he is a touchstone. We value, someone we value for the way he makes us look at ourselves. And I think that's, 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 really, that's a really good thing to say about it. Now, uh, Jack himself, um, in terms of his trademarks of what he's known for, of course, is dark sunglasses, his unmistakably smooth, low-pitched, drawling voice, mm-hmm. his uh, what they call a shark's grin, very crazy yeah, grin. He definitely has that. Yeah. He often plays charming, anti-authoritarian characters and also frequently plays characters with mental instability. Uh, he's yeah. known for his, yeah, his crazy laugh. He's also uh, one of the best-known method actors. Oh, he's and, a killer. Yeah, and also for his uh, triangular uh, eyebrows. <laughs> his crazy eyebrows. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, in terms of his relationships, Jack has only been married once uh, to a lady named Sandra Knight uh, from 1962 to 1968. Uh, they only he has, uh, His first daughter is actually from that marriage, Jennifer. She's actually been kind of like, she kind of like does cameos in certain of his movies. Uh... But his most high-profile relationship has basically been with uh, Angelica Houston. Uh, they had basically have had an on, they had an on again, off again relationship from 1973 to 1990, and they had like a couple periods off, including one where uh, Jack actually fathered a child with another woman. But they always seem to come back to each other. Yeah, yeah. So, and he, like, you see old pictures of them together, young, beautiful Angelica Houston and crazy-looking Jack Nicholson. But, yeah, they, they had the thing, man, for a long time. Well, I mean, look, Jack, Jack is one of those guys that, like you said, he's very well-known for that, that crazy streak in it. Yeah. I mean, there's always – in fact, if you've, you've been to a Lakers game before, mm-hmm. you know, you always, everyone sees Jack there, and one of the things they always like to play is a, a, a joke mm-hmm. I've seen on the Jumbotron a couple times is, what's Jack looking at? <laughs> and it always turns out to be some Laker girl. Or also, like, uh, usually uh, he'll, like, have a moment where he's, like, arguing with some official. Yeah, he'll or argue with or whatever. Yeah, he, he's very passionate about his Lakers, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. Yep. Now, from 1989 to 84, he was in a relationship with the actress uh, Rebecca Broussard. Um, they had two children together, Lorraine and Raymond. Uh, also, he had a long-time relationship with actress Laura Flynn Boyle. Which I never got. I never. I never found yeah. her. I never found her attractive. To be honest with you, great. Sweet uh, sound, man. Yeah, cool actress, but yeah, I just never found her attractive. Uh, but yeah, they were they were together for a long time. They permanently split up in 2004. Uh, Jack maintains homes in Malibu, Beverly Hills, uh, Aspen, and uh, Kahlua, Hawaii. Now, as far as his, his early life goes, he was actually born on April 22nd. Uh, 1937 in Neptune City, New Jersey. He's the son of a showgirl named June. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually of, uh, his mother's actually of Irish, uh, English, German, and Welsh descent. Um, she married a, uh, another showman named uh, Dan uh, Forcello. Uh, but the thing about it is uh, they split up early and uh, couldn't find out uh, Mr. Forcello was actually not Jack's biological father. They actually uh, believe that it was a dude named uh, Eddie King. Uh, and because of the fact that when uh, Jack was born, his mother was only 17 and unmarried, and her parents agreed to raise Jack as their son, and they never revealed to him personally their, their parentage. Uh, he, uh, he always grew up thinking that June was his, was, older sister. Was his sister. And Which he, is one of those things you've seen in TV multiple yeah. times, and mm-hmm. every time I saw it, I always thought it was bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. Who would ever believe that? And then... Here you go. There's some yeah. proof it happens. Yeah. But the thing about it is, and this is another thing I'm going to allude to, Jack is also notorious for not uh, being on interviews or dealing with the press. For one particular incident, I can tell you that, 
1974, Time Magazine uh, did some research and they informed Jack that June was his actual mother and that his other sister Lorraine was his aunt. Now, at this time, both his mom and his uh, grandma had already died. Now, when he found out himself, he basically said uh, it was a pretty dramatic event, but I wouldn't call it traumatizing. Uh, I was pretty well psychologically formed. But since then, he has avoided uh, well, doing, you doing know, interviews. And the reasons we can always go into, but one of the things I have to say I think is poignant about that because it goes the same thing with the great we talked about last week, Mr. Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. I feel like the actors that tend to avoid press for press sake as much as possible yeah. tend to be the ones that not only have the greatest body of work but also the greatest potential. Yeah. Because one of the things like... Whether you love it or not, whether you're for his politics or not, like I'll, I'll go with somebody else who I think is a you, you got to give it to him. He's a killer actor, right? Look at George Clooney. Yeah, the man has a great body of work. Yeah, we can go back and forth about the Schumacher Batman's or the but, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, but or Facts of Life. <laughs> but From Dusk Till Dawn was a killer film, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, hell, out of sight. Yeah, I mean, we can go down yeah, the list. He's yeah. done some good stuff. Even yeah. as a director and a producer, he's done some great work. Mountain Men. But for him, Bell, yeah. for him, he's unfortunately, because he's decided to go that direction, he's put himself in a position where a significant portion of 50% of the population who tend to lean right mm-hmm. are automatically going to discount his films because they don't like him personally. Yeah. And seeing like even maybe one of these days we can uh, we can talk about um, you know like a William H Macy or uh, I'm trying to remember who was uh, played Truman Capote. Why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I heard him talking about it uh, you know before he passed. Mm-hmm. He specifically avoided any kind of public comment on anything. Like he'd go and he'd do like you know the premiere or whatever for the photos for the press side, mm-hmm. but he avoided public consumption of him as a person because his thinking was it limited his ability to do his job as a performer right because the whole idea is you need the audience to be able to see you as somebody else now Mm -hmm. again we could dig down into why maybe a leading man decides to just go that route because they kind of get pigeonholed in that leading man side of things like every man tom hanks Mm -hmm. but i i think there's something to it with a jack nicholson or a bill bill murray where that avoidance almost adds to their mystique. Yeah, that's another thing that I think is missing from most of the celebrities and stars today. Mystique, mystery. I say the same thing about uh, Michael Jackson. They're overexposed. Yeah, yeah the same thing, I say the same thing about Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson never did interviews. Like, if he did... Well, ex- it, it, except for that one big one at the end. Yeah, but like I said, for, for the vast majority of his career, especially yeah. when he was at his peak, did not do interviews. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like, freaking like, uh, that kind of thing where it's like, you... You know this person, but you don't know him. Like led to the like that mystery. Like, what is he like for real? Like, what 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 is he really like? What is what is, uh, what is all this about? And it like makes you makes makes you want to know more about the person or want to see their work more. You know what I'm saying? If, if I can take it into like a weirder spot, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, every celebrity mm-hmm. is the Jaws shark. And if you can have less of the Jaws shark, you get the fin coming out of the water here and there. Mm-hmm. It adds something because it allows the general public to look at it and fill in the blanks on their mm-hmm. own. Mm-hmm. But if you bring that big rubber thing up yeah. out onto the deck of the to boat, the boat yeah. and that's in every freaking scene of the movie, yeah. the movie's going to die. That's you, what, you, and it's yeah. because nobody, I mean, the reality yeah. is nobody is 
whatever it is you've built them up to be in your mind. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all human. We're all the same species. We've all got problems. We've all got some stuff we're good at, some stuff we suck at, we some all, stuff that's great, yeah. some stuff yeah. that's bad. We all fuck up. The big difference between them and us, for the most part, obviously they're going to have some talent. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be financial. That's mm-hmm. seriously the single biggest thing you're going to see in there. And so mm-hmm. you overexpose, and you over, and that's the problem with all the new celebs coming up. Yeah, this whole like Instagram thing, like you, you're overexposing yourself, and it starts mm-hmm. to lose out on that. I mean, the the best thing you and I got going for for ourselves. Yeah, we're genuine as hell. Yeah, this is how we are. This is how we think. This is how we do our thing. Yeah. Everyone else is trying to create an image, man. Yeah. It's just not going to work in the long run. I got you. Yeah, it's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, back to Jack and his family. His, fo- his folks actually moved to uh, Spring Lake, New Jersey, when he was in high school, and then his family set up an actual beauty parlor at uh, 505 Mercer Avenue. Uh, he went to uh, Manaskewin High School, uh, where his nickname was Nick. <laughs> he was actually voted class clown in the class of 1954. Big surprise And there. you know what? When you see him yeah. in comedies, he's mm-hmm. got it. Also, another big big non-surprise. He was in detention every day of an entire school year. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, but since then, they have named a theater and drama award at that school after him. And funny enough, in 2004, he actually attended his 50, 50th high school reunion at the same high school. And everybody was actually surprised that he came. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, man. Yeah, I went to school here, too. Good for him. Yeah. And another thing that... Uh, 50th, there ain't going to be many yeah. people left. Yeah, another thing that happened uh, when... Uh, <laughs> See, if Jack got coronavirus, yeah. I'd be worried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, after he graduated in 1957, he actually joined the California uh, Air National Guard. Uh, basically, uh, they actually... Some people tend to characterize this as him dodging the draft because it's around the time of the, the Korean War. And uh, he actually, uh, they had yeah, the, the military. dodging the draft. You still joined. I know, but the military selective uh, service act was still in effect, and they uh, made draftees perform at least two years of active duty. Well, I know, but that's what's funny to me is, like, he still joined. Like, once you join the Air National Guard, they can activate you. You can be gone for two years anyway. Exactly. Uh, he completed <laughs> basic training. and uh, didn't run off to Canada. Yeah, he, compl- he completed basic training <laughs> at Lackland High, uh, La- La- excuse me, Lackland Air Force. Uh, before weekend drills and and two um, two week annual training, actually he was trained as a firefighter. Oh, cool! And and, uh, and he actually uh, during the Berlin crisis of 1961, he was actually called up for several uh, months of extended active duty. He was actually discharged in uh, 1962. Now after that, he first came to Hollywood in, in 54 uh, when he was like 17 before, to visit. Before we move too far past that, I got yeah. a question for you because yes. I know you're a military guy. Yeah. What do you think the chances are that he got out without any Article 15s? Especially considering the fact that he was in detention for a uh, solid year. Unlikely. Really <laughs> highly unlikely. <laughs> highly unlikely. Yeah, I can see him being that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because like, like I said, the anti-authoritarian thing, I was the same <laughs> That's way. That's what I'm saying. I don't That's, get it. I'm, I was the same way. That's why I'm no longer in the military. That's why you just got to get tired of bullshit people telling you what to do. But, you know, so it Thank is what it is. Thank you for your service. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Uh, so, yeah, he first came to Hollywood in 54. Thank you, bro. Appreciate right. that, man. Uh, he came to... He, I keep saying it. He came to Hollywood in 54. <laughs> he took a job as an office worker, actually, at Hanna-Barbera. He worked for, he worked for Hanna-Barbera at MGM Cartoon Studio. Nice. And they actually offered him an entry-level job as an animator, but he declined because he wanted to become an actor. That's a good call. Yeah. Uh, he actually recalled his very first day of working as a working actor was, get this, 
May 5th, 1955. 5555. Now, he considers that lucky because the fucking, the number five is actually the jersey number of his bullhead idol, Joe DiMaggio from the Yankees. Ah. So, yeah, that was crazy. 5555 was his first day of work as an actor. Uh, he was trained to be an actor in a group called the uh, Players Ring Theater. He found, like, small parts on uh, stage shows and TV soap operas. He actually has not returned to the stage since he left his group. Uh, I think he's all right. I think he's fine, yeah. <laughs> now, and the thing, yeah. too, is, like, yeah. this is one of those deals, because I know you and I have both been there and done it, yeah. especially when you're doing one of those kind of shows. Yeah. It gets boring. Yeah, it Because the problem is if you're going to do a stage show, you're mm-hmm. not doing – it's not a one-and-done. It's not a two-and-done. It's mm-hmm. a year. It's six months. And it's the same shit six mm-hmm. times a day. Well, six yep. times a week. Sometimes yep. more if you got double shows, right? Yeah, so I've, it's I've, like, yeah, I've done I've done a couple of plays, especially out here in LA. Yeah, it's a, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exhausting way to go. I mean, don't get me wrong; it can still be fun. But yeah. I mean, if you're Jack and you got the money and you can go from movie to movie, yeah, just do it and get it done. That's right. Now he failed his first screen test ever with a uh, Joe Pasternak. Huh. Uh, well, during that same screen test, he was told, like, I don't know if we can use you. But if we ever do need you, we'll need you really bad. Hmm. Yeah. And That's so, not a bad failure. Yeah, so basically he took acting lessons, got an agent, and he also took classes with Joe, uh, excuse me, Jeff Corey and uh, Martin Landau. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, he's with some big timers. Exactly. His feature film debut was in a movie called The uh, Cry Baby Killer in 1958, and he was actually hmm. the title role in that. Yeah, but then in the uh, following decade, he was a frequent uh, collaborator with Roger Corman mm-hmm. in his movies. He was actually the most notable one of those was uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the original, where he was the the, the dentist patient, uh, Wilbur Force. He was the, he was the, <laughs> he was the masochistic one, like oh yeah, I love that yeah. That and of course we mentioned last week, Bill Murray actually played that role in the live action musical version in 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, he also. Uh, was the movies uh, like The Raven, The Terror, and uh, The St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm. Yeah. He also appeared in two episodes of The Andy Griffith Show. And you can see, it's crazy, he's like a prisoner, and you see him with, like, Andy and fucking, uh, you know, Gomer Pyle and, you know, Barney. <laughs> it's pretty cool to see, man. Look, young Jack Nicholson was pretty cool to see. I mean, in fact, mm-hmm. probably the most famous one I think most people would have definitely seen is going to be Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. Get into that. He's a, he was, look, I'm just saying, he's a decent-looking young guy. He, yeah. he didn't always... I mean, there was yeah. always that crazy hiding below the surface. Yeah. yeah, But he didn't get to, like, that full crazy old dude a little bit later on. Yeah. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't get on is that it, at his early stages, he felt his acting career was going nowhere. So he actually resigned himself to a career behind the screen as a writer and director. Yep. His first taste of actual success as a writer was actually for the screenplay for a movie called The Trip, also directed by Roger Corman, which starred... Since we're talking about Easy Rider, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. Yep. And uh, after first reading the script, uh, Nicholson told uh, Jan- uh, Peter Fonda told Jack Nicholson that he was really impressed with his writing and felt it could be a great movie. However, Peter Fonda was actually disappointed in how the movie turned out and blamed it on the editing, turning it into a predictable movie, and he was basically living. Now, Jack also uh, co-wrote a movie called Head, starring the Monkees. <laughs> the group, the monkeys. Yeah. He also helped arrange the uh, movie soundtrack. Now, because of the experience of this, the trip or whatever, uh, when a spot opened in Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper's movie Easy Rider, uh, basically Jack got put into that spot, and it led to his first big acting break. Well, and before we get too deep down that that road, as far as him getting work as a writer, so mm-hmm. the story I always heard mm-hmm. uh, from different teachers and stuff when I was coming up was that. 
he actually lived in a building with a bunch of other producers that were working indie film at the time. Because if you really look at Jack's early career, mm-hmm. he was in that that first wave of real indie films coming out of Hollywood in the '60s, which was all following you know the very very successful uh, lawsuit that uh, the great Kirk Douglas had against the studios. It really opened it up to that, that forced them to divest the theater chains, allowed indie film to really kind of thrive. Yeah. And so that was that was Jack Nicholson's way in. Was that in fact? There's a lot of stuff from what I understand. He never even took credit for where he came in and did script doctoring work mm-hmm. and stuff. And he'd do it for fifty bucks, a hundred bucks here and there because yeah. he was basically just stitching together rent. But at least. Mm-hmm. He was doing it in the industry. That was one of my facts, too, that I have for Jack a little bit later, that he was a very successful ghostwriter. Yep. So, good it's to, a good Look, I mean, you got to yeah. put it together however you can. And again, mm-hmm. you take care of those guys. You save them. You cover their ass. Yeah. They're going to remember you later on. And, you know, the more people you've helped, the more people you've worked with. Yeah. The better your chance to get where you want to go. That's networking, baby. They're going to call you. I try to, I try to do that, incorporate that stuff, uh, that kind of stuff myself as an actor. Like, I can just try to do the best I can with the material I'm giving, make suggestions. Maybe we can make it a little better. You know what I'm saying? If it works with the story and we use it and it works, that looks good on me. That looks good for the film. You know what I'm saying? They say, you know, hey, well, I want to work with you again. That was great. Well, and, and look, and on this ghostwriting thing, as long as we're talking about it, because yeah. um, I know we've got one movie didn't make either of our top tens, but it's still a good movie, uh, The Bucket List. Mm-hmm. Um, the producer on that, I actually, I, I, he came to our school way back right after it finished because he's an alum, and he was telling us about making it. But he said that when they first got Jack Nicholson on board, mm-hmm. uh, he wanted to work with them and do some ghostwriting, and he he did. He helped them. He script doctored the shit out of that thing. And in fact, uh, the end sequence when the guys climbing up the mountain to put their at, put the ashes up there on top of Mount Everest and all of that, mm-hmm. the whole joke about, I'm sure that would have made him happy because it was illegal, mm-hmm. that that was Jack's joke. And Jack was saying, he's like, look, this movie, is it's got a lot of heart, it's really good, but we can't let this end on a down note because the audience will hate it because it's just so heavy and sad. Mm-hmm. So he's like, if we can just get a nice little joke in there, it'll give everyone some sense of positivity. And I mean, he was right because it's, look, again, even though it didn't make my top 10 because Jack's got a massive body of work. Yeah. It really made for a hell of a, a, a good film. Now, uh, back to Easy Rider real quick. Uh, Jack played the uh, alcoholic lawyer, George Hansen. Mm-hmm. Received his first Academy Award nomination because of the movie. The movie itself only cost forty uh, $400,000 to make and was a huge blockbuster. Grossed over $40 million. Now, um, a biographer named uh, John Parker actually says that Nicholson's role basically placed him in the company of early anti-hero actors like James like uh, James Cagney or Humphrey Bogart and also promoted him as like an overnight number one hero for the counterculture movement. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, like I said, the part was a huge break for Jack. It was actually written for Rip Torn, mm-hmm. but he actually got into a huge argument with Dennis Hopper. Uh, and he actually, <laughs> and, Jack, and Jack himself acknowledged that uh, about being uh, in Easy Rider. He said, I'm, I'm gonna do the. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the Jack Nicholson impression. Do it. <clears throat> if you see in my early films before Easy Rider, there's this desperate young actor trying to bolt out into the screen and create a smoothie career. Yeah. That's basically what it says about it. <laughs> now, uh, right after that, uh, he actually uh, was first cast by Stanley Kubrick for a film that uh, Kubrick had in mind about the life of Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And he felt that Jack would be the ultimate person to play Napoleon. However, that particular project fizzled uh, due to change of ownership at MGM and other other issues. But yeah, like to this day, oh, to his passing death, he always felt that Jack would be the ultimate person to play Napoleon on film. 
Uh, wrong. Yeah, now right after that, Jack, Jack starred in Five Easy Pieces, which is a movie I love, and also kind of became a persona-defining role for Jack. Um, he starred along Karen Black. It was 1970. Both of them were uh, nominated for Academy Awards for their performances. Uh, Jack played uh, 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 Bobby uh, Dupia, uh, who's, an auto, who's an oil rig worker, and uh, Karen Black was his waitress girlfriend. Now, the most famous scene of the movie, of course, is the argument scene that they have in the diner about the food. And basically, apparently, that was ad-libbed by Jack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's completely out of character because of the fact that it's very uh, unlike uh, the, the how they portray Bobby in the movie. Right. And that's more Jack than anything. Now, Karen Black herself says that I think Jack has very little in common with Bobby. I think Bobby has uh, given up looking on love, but Jack hasn't. He's very interested in love and finding out things and... Jack is actually a very curious, alive human being. He's always ready for a new idea. Uh, and Jack himself said, I like listening to everybody. That, to me, is the elixir of life. <laughs> is that a decent Jack Nicholson? That's not bad. That was, that was, yeah. I think that was better than the first one. Thank you. And uh, also, Karen Black admitted that she had a crush on Jack Nicholson uh, during the time they uh, they're doing this move together. And they actually dated briefly, so there's that. Huh? Now, after the release of uh, Five Easy Pieces, the movie was, again, another blockbuster, making Jack Nicholson a leading man and the new American anti-hero. Now, uh, they started comparing him to, like, you know, James Dean and Marlon Brando. His career input skyrocketed. And then he, again, he said himself, <laughs> one more time, I have become much sought after. Your name becomes a brand image like a product. You become Campbell's soup with 31 different varieties of the roles you play. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad at all, man. Thank you. He also said, I like to play people that haven't existed before. You know, a cusp character. I have that creative earning, you know. Uh, much less like a Shangal flies figures in the air. You know? Once you become part of the con conventional wisdom, it doesn't seem particularly adventurous or weird or wild. You know, I like true. that. I, I, I true. like doing that shit. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, <clears throat> that's pretty much his early career, and of course, there's so much of his career that you know we can't really get everything into it. But I want to get into the different aspects of it. Now, number one, I wanted to get into is uh, sports. And his hobbies. Mm -hmm. Now, as we mentioned before, Jack is a huge Lakers fan. I think, I think that's the one celebrity most associated with the Lakers team itself is Jack Nicholson. Like, if you watch different games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. he's basically yeah. the, the same connection as you got, like, um, like Spike Lee, right? With the, with, the, with, the, with, the with the Knicks. Yeah. Like, if you look at a game, you see Jack Nicholson right there courtside with the glasses on. Although, the, uh, what's his name? Um... The DiCaprio, he's yeah. been trying to he's been trying to play that one. But the guy who I, and this is the one that I always liked because I was broke as hell when I first moved to LA. Well, yeah, still yeah. pretty broke. Yeah. Um, I have to go with uh, with uh, uh, Toby. McGuire. Yeah, because he was always out there watching. Uh, uh, oh shit! Just flew out of my brain. Well, Not the Lakers, but the uh, Clippers. Clippers, yes. Oh, okay. he, I would always see him at the Clippers games because that's all I could afford, man. I'd be at like mm -hmm. nosebleed section, and he was the celeb. Yeah, who's out there supporting the Clippers? Yeah, things. And have that was before yeah. Blake I, Griffin. I, I, I said things have changed for the Clippers now. You know, yeah, now I can't afford any of them. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he basically has been a uh, Lakers season holder ticket, season ticket holder, excuse me, since 1970. 
Yep. He's been seen in courtside for more than 25 years, and he's usually next to the opponent's benches at both the Forum and the Staples Center. He's missed very few games. In a few instances, you see Jack Nicholson engaging in arguments with game officials and opposing players, and has even walked onto the court several times. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He's also been ejected from a Lakers game in 2003 because he yelled at the game's referee. <laughs> yeah, but who, who was it that owned the Lakers back then? Doc... Uh... Doc something, Doctor something. I'm blanking on his name. He's the guy. He was the first guy to do Lakers girls and all that stuff. I remember there was. I was watching a documentary about Magic Johnson. And they were talking about him as the owner. But anyway, the whole point Jerry is, West? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Doctor Bus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that guy. He's understood from the very beginning. A mm-hmm. lot of guys misses that what he's selling is entertainment. And what better way mm-hmm. than to have someone like a Jack Nicholson who's essential? Because yeah. Anybody else, like if you and I did that, if we even walked on the court, mm-hmm. we'd be ejected for life. Well, it's right now, it, yeah, it's Jack Nicholson. But it's so Jack yeah, Nicholson, Nicholson so, so, I mean, if anything, that ups <laughs> your financial return because people yeah. would be like, man, I hope Jack loses it tonight. Yeah. Uh, he's often seated next to his good friend Lou, uh, uh, Lou Adler. Mm-hmm. Uh, rare, very rarely misses a Laker home game. Contrary to popular belief, he's never had a production company schedule filming uh, the filming of his movies to accommodate his attendance at sporting events. Uh, but it just works out that yeah, way. Yeah, it just works out that way. Also, well, the other thing, yeah. too, is you get a myth going. Yeah. They just go ahead and schedule without <laughs> even telling you. Exactly. <laughs> also, he's also a huge fan of the of the uh, the New York Yankees as well. And actually, there's a great story that Jimmy Fallon tells about him going to a Yankees game with Jad Nicholson and Lauren Michaels. And they're talking about uh, getting Cracker Jacks and stuff. So, uh, Jimmy gets to think of Cracker Jacks and then, like, uh, Usually the pr- the prize or whatever back in the day was like something like uh, something like a whistle or some shit like that. But Jim- Jimmy got a little thing. It was like a tattoo of a snake. Mm-hmm. So he showed it to Jack and he was like, you know, when I was a kid, we used to get metal things like whistles and things of that nature. Now that all they give you is a fucking snake. <laughs> <laughs> I've been showing Jack Nicholson. Yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah. Also, uh, he is a avid boxing fan. Which I actually have been watching a lot of since I'm in quarantine, kind of. You know what you should be watching in what? quarantine? What? Rugby. I'll probably watch rugby. You watch at, rugby. At, at, at this point, I'll probably watch anything. Dude, ESPN Plus, you yeah. can watch a good chunk of the MLR games. Yeah, and I do have ESPN as part of the Disney Plus bundle. So Dude, Jay, you should go through and watch them. There's some good shit. I'll probably watch it. Now, he's attended many of the great fights of the last few centuries. In fact, he's attended a few of them that have been dubbed the fight of the century. Now, he's, a dub, he's attended fights of fighters like Mike Tyson, Floyd Mayweather, Sugar Ray Leonard, and uh, Oscar De La Hoya. Now, he's president... The big fights, like he was, at, he was seen there at the uh, Larry Holmes, Jerry Cooney, Great White Hype mm. fight. He was at the Sugar Ray Leonard versus Marvin Hagler fight. He was also at uh, Tyson versus Lewis. So you can see him there at all these great fights, man. He's also spoke very uh, candidly about a very close friendship that he had with Muhammad Ali mm. uh, up until the up until uh, Ali's death in 2016. Um, he is also a huge fan, which I didn't know. He's a huge fan of pro wrestling. Huh. Yeah, so apparently his all-time favorite. What's fa- not to love, yeah. man? Yeah, uh, his all-time favorites are Harley Race, Ric Flair, and John Cena. He it's actually, hard to beat Ric yeah. Flair. Honestly. He, act- he actually at one point actually wanted to induct Ric Flair into the WWE Hall of Fame. I don't know why they didn't do that. WWE should have been all over that. That would have been great for them. Yeah, and he also said in an interview once, if he can get Jim Carrey, Tom Cruise. Robert Downey Jr. and Johnny Depp to be part of it, he would start his own wrestling promotion. Apparently, all of those guys are huge wrestling fans. 
It was crazy. What yeah. the hell is WWE doing? <laughs> right. And uh, the National Wrestling Alliance, which was the huge one yeah, prior yeah, yeah. to WWF taking over, uh, they actually awarded Jack a custom NWA World title as a birthday present due to his love and support of wrestling and the NWA back in the day. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, back to the Lakers real quick. Uh, this past year, he he uh, did a meaningful little tribute to Kobe Bryant after the yeah. tragedy uh, that happened this past year. Well, because again, when you get to be Jack Nicholson, you're not just sitting on the, the, the sideline watching. I mean, you're involved. I'm sure he was back there in the uh, the locker room at times with these guys. I mean, he's it was a personal relationship, so he's actually getting into a position where he's. Uh, He's not just talking about some sports figure that he watched on TV. Like the majority of us, I mean, these are personal relationships. That's some heavy stuff to have to have to carry through and try to process. So I mean, that's that was really nice of him to get up there and do that. And nice of the the Lakers organization to keep him involved. Yeah, and also he's a uh, big collector of 20th century contemporary art. Uh, he has a lot of work from uh, Matisse, uh, Limpeca, a lot of uh, a lot of Andy Warhol stuff. Yeah. And apparently, artist uh, Ed Rushka actually quoted Jack as saying he has one of the best collections out there. And his collection that he has is estimated as being worth over $100 million. Appreciation, man. That's right. Now, uh, going into that, we go into some of his celebrity friendships. Now, we mentioned Warren Beatty. Him and Warren Beatty lived on Ma- uh, Ma- Mulholland Drive in Beverly Hills. Bad Boy get- Drive. Bad Boy Drive, yeah. <clears throat> they, they, they lived uh, close together for years. And... Uh, that's live, he actually lived next door to Marlon Brando yep. for a long time. In fact, in 2004, when Marlon Brando died, he actually, uh, Jack Nicholson actually purchased uh, Brando's bungalow for $6.1 million to have it demolished. He felt that basically he did this out of respect to Brando's legacy and it basically became too expensive to renovate this derelict building. So he's like, you know what? I'll, I'll take it and I'll get rid of it for, for Marlon. Yeah, well, and that way it doesn't become something, you know, of like a like a weird way station for that uh, Hollywood celebrity tours bus. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's what it was heading for. Yeah. And also, a lot of his great friends in Hollywood, and he's actually done movies with all of these guys, Dennis Hopper, Dan yep. Beatty, Tracy Walter, and Harry Dean Stanton. There's one name off that list. What's up? Danny DeVito. I was actually getting to that. Because that's a lifelong friendship yeah. there. I was actually getting to that, yeah. Okay. He's also friends with Vladi Divac. And uh, <laughs> WWE Hall of Famer George the Animal Steel, and like you just said, he's been boyhood friends with Danny DeVito because in fact his fam, their family, and Jack's family, and actually ran that uh, beauty hair salon. Yeah, yep. hair salon together. Yeah, exactly. So they've been friends since they were boys. Jack is also a huge friend of uh, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, which at, makes a lot of sense. You just think yeah. about how Jack is. Yeah. After uh, Thompson died in 2005, Jack Nicholson and. Uh, and other actors like uh, Johnny Depp, John Cusack, and Sean Penn actually attended his private memorial in Colorado. Yeah. He's also great friends with the late Robert Evans, who was the producer of Chinatown, which we're going to get into a little bit later. And also when um, when Evans actually lost his house uh, as a result of a drug bust in the 80s, Nicholson and a few other friends actually purchased the uh, property back for him so they can set a gift on so, I mean, nice. it's a nice of him. It would probably yeah. been better if Bob hadn't got himself in trouble. But, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, at least they're, they're taking care of him. Yeah. And also, we talked about this last time when we did Bill Murray. I thought it would be interesting, too, to go on some of the missed roles that Jack either turned yeah, down. he's turned down some big ones. Yeah. Uh, he turned down Johnny Hooker in The Sting. Yeah. Uh, he actually turned it down to play Billy Badass in the in the uh, last detail, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't horrible. Yeah. 
Um, he also, uh, yeah, yeah, he lost that role out to uh, Robert Redford. And funny enough, both of them were nominated for Best Actor for that same year for the different roles, but they both lost to Jack Lemmon. So, Wait, was uh, that when he won for The Apartment? Oh, uh, no, uh, Jack Lemmon won for Save the Tiger. Oh, Save the Tiger, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he turned down the lead role in Close Encounters of the Third Kind because he felt that the special effects would overwhelm any actor in that movie. <laughs> Fast forward 40 years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's I like, know. talk about being overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, prior to playing the Joker, he's actually considered for Lex Luthor in Superman the movie. Of course, that role went to Gene Hackman. Yes, we know. I think it was better that way. I do, too. I uh, like Gene a lot. He's a, he's a great actor. Yeah. You know, over the top, but at the same time, he can bring that menace. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He actually turned down uh, <laughs> Bob Guccione's Caligula. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm glad it went that way. I like yeah. Anthony Hopkins. It was no. It was a. Uh, it was a uh, Malcolm McDowell. For oh Caligula. shit! For sorry, Caligula. sorry, sorry, sorry. I was Caligula. going. I was thinking. I, I was completely different. Uh, Shakespeare. I was thinking. Um, uh, Mark and. No, no, no. I was thinking. What was that? Titus. Okay. That was one because that's another really fucked yeah. up Roman film. Yeah. He also turned down the role of the lead in in Bad Santa, to do about Schmidt. <laughs> Turn down. I mean, you know yeah, what? Yeah. If he had him, I don't know if Billy yeah. Bob Thorne would still be rocking. True. Like that uh, was that saved Billy Bob. Yeah, he turned down the lead role in the Mosquito Coast, which went to Harrison Ford. Uh, he also uh, was considered for uh, John Voight's role in Coming Home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he also turned out several Harrison Ford roles. Uh, uh, basically, they tried to get him the screen test for Han Solo. He turned down Raiders of the Lost Ark. He turned down Blade Runner and the Mosquito Coast, which I just mentioned. He was also offered the lead role in Witness. He liked the script, but apparently at the time when he was attached to it, there was another director that he liked you know, part of it. Blade Runner and The Witness are the only two so far where I could really see him in it. I could definitely see him in Witness. Witness for sure. Blade Runner would have been interesting. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, he also turned on a couple of uh, Anthony Hopkins roles, Silence yeah. of the Lambs, and also uh, the role to Wellville. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he turned down uh, Dustin Hoffman's part in uh, Straw Dogs. No, yeah. it needed to go that way. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman. He would, yeah, because I mean, he's too. Jack Nicholson's too physical and too big of an actor, even though he's not physically that big. Mm-hmm. Just his screen presence, I think. Yeah. It it just needed. To be. If you've never seen the original Straw Dogs, I'm not talking mm-hmm. about this ridiculous remake they did like eight yeah. years ago. Oh yeah, that's go right. watch the original Sam Peckinpah Straw Dogs. Right now, look, you're on quarantine. You got nothing else to do. Yeah, watch Straw Dogs. Yeah, film is spectacular you're gonna watch this little tiny dustin hoffman this guy who's basically getting rolled by everybody he's he's the he's the guy who can't stand up for himself or stand up for anything or anybody and the character arc and the masterful way masterful way in which him and peck and paw <coughs> excuse me took his character from being this little pushover to a man who you will not mess with is fantastic and amazing. It's, yeah. it's honestly it's my favorite Peck and Pop film. I love Wild, uh, was it? Uh, the Wild the Bunch. Wild Bunch. Yeah. But honestly, Straw Dogs is the tops. I got you. Uh, also with Clint Eastwood, he turned down George Clooney's role in Three Kings. Uh, he turned Ooh. down Gene Hackman's role in Hoosiers. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's he tur- fine. He turned down John Malkovich's role in In the Line of Fire. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, turned down James Conn's role in uh, Misery. Uh, he's actually wary, he's actually wary of doing another Stephen King because of uh, 
how Stephen King reacted to The Shining, which I'm going to get to a little bit later. Which, I mean, that dude, we could go for hours on that one. That's, yeah. 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 Uh, he turned down Mickey Rourke's uh, role in Angel Heart. Uh, turned okay. down, yeah, he turned down Daddy Warbucks in the uh, Annie. The sun will come out <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, he turned that shit down. <laughs> good, good call. Good call. Yeah, he also turned down the dad, the dad role in the Christmas Story. I think it would have been interesting. I mean, it would have been all right. But it still, what's the name of uh, Derek McGavin? Yeah, yeah, that's the. I one mean, it was solid. Yeah, it was. Uh, turned out. Also, he turned. He was considered for Dustin Hoffman's role in The Graduate. He actually. Uh, they said it turns out like well, who who was considered for The Graduate. He's like they basically considered every actor I was eating lunch with. You you gotta you gotta look at him as a as a young actor too because it I like I feel like everyone especially in in our age bracket we think of him at the at the youngest maybe as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Right, so he's always kind of got that forty-year-old look. Go back and watch, like we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, honestly, just go go back to. Uh, um, uh, oh shit! Well, it just went out of my brain. Uh, the one with uh, with with, with uh, Fonda. Easy Rider. Easy Rider. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Easy Rider. Yeah, <laughs> Easy Rider. Too, too much mm-hmm. shit going on in my brain right now to keep it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go back and watch him in Easy Rider. See how young he looks. Hell, even just go watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, we'll he would have been great physical, right? Mm-hmm. His look, and then yeah. again with that twist. But Dustin Hoffman in that role. Yeah. I mean, it, it made Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Uh, a couple other parts he was turned down. Uh, well, or he was considered for. He was considered for two Kevin Costner roles for The Untouchables and JFK. Okay. Uh, he was considered for a couple of Michael Douglas's roles in *Romance in the Stone*, *Fatal Attraction*, *Basic Instinct*, and *Falling Down*. I think at one point he was actually—I wouldn't liked him in yeah. *Falling Down*. Yeah, at one point he was actually offered the role of Gordon Gecko in *Wall Street*. He could have done that. He could have done that, but I he mean, was, Douglas did a good job. But he could have done that. But he was committed to making ironwood, ironweed at the time. So, mm. yeah, I know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also was asked to play Michael Corleone in The Godfather. He turned it down, saying that a real Italian should have played the part. So. Yeah. Oh, and actually, they looked at him to do um, uh, to do the role of Tom as well. Yeah. But he also passed on that. Yeah, one. Tom Hagen. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to say, the best part about him turning that one down, mm-hmm. I love that reason. No, it needs to go to a real Italian. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that too. Let's go into some actual facts about the man himself. Now, he dedicated his Oscar for uh, As Good As It Gets to J.T. Walsh, who was his co-star in A Few Good Men, which we're going to get to a little bit later. Yeah, that was a killer film. But J.T. Walsh actually died shortly before this Academy Awards uh, ceremony. Uh, In 94, during a bout of rage, he actually smashed a dude's car window with a golf club. He has since uh, expressed remorse about the incident. Uh, he loves jokes at his expense so much that he showed up to every uh, Oscars uh, telecast hosted by Billy Crystal because Billy Crystal will often incorporate Jack Nicholson somehow into the pot, into the telecast. Um, uh, the best uh, the best man for his wedding, his very first wedding, and his only wedding was Harry Dean Stanton. Did Did you see that? Um, mm-hmm. It was going around recently. There was this this old uh, acceptance speech. That he he was supposed to be giving somewhere and he was too baked to give it, so he had Robin Williams come up on stage and accept the award on his behalf as Jack Nicholson. That was nice. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. I'll post it to uh, to yeah. the Facebook page. Freaking hilarious. Oh yeah, that's dope. 
And also, when he went through his divorce, he actually stayed at Harry Dean Hanson's house. <laughs> <laughs> and we mentioned this a little bit earlier. He has long refused to do any televised interviews except for press conferences. But in recent years, he has agreed to occasionally speak briefly to reporters. He has actually not appeared on a talk show since 1971. Good for him. Yeah. Like I said, you look at old, like, try to look up. Yeah, He's not on the Tonight Show. He's not a Letterman. He's not on none of them. He said, fuck him. Yeah, so um, he actually uh, flew down and met with Videl Castro in '98. He actually yeah. had he actually had a good time there. He went to the restaurants, jazz clubs. He got some good cigars, cigar too. bar. Yeah, he is actually impressed with the country and the dictator himself, calling him a genius. Even though the luxuries he got were not, you know, afforded well, to other Cuban see, citizens. Here's, here's the thing about being a dictator. Yeah, whether it's communist or otherwise, as long as you're at the top. Mm-hmm. Your part of the world and what you show everyone is always fantastic. Because when you start talking to those poor folks that are putting floaters on their Chryslers and trying to float them across mm-hmm. the ninety miles, uh, it, it gets very different very quickly. But I mean, if, if you don't mind being a genocidal maniac, yeah, he's a genius. And speaking of the Academy Awards, since we talked about that, um, he has presented the Best Picture Oscar eight times. Oh. <coughs> well, <laughs> Hold up. What is that? You gotta sneeze. Hold up. No, this goddamn just regular. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to do that in your elbow, man. It's fucking regular allergies, <laughs> I know. I got them too. I've, I've had this conversation with my wife like four times because, like, I'll start to get like a sore thing in the back of my throat because it's out here right now. It's 72 degrees and sunny. Yeah. It is the regular spring in Los Angeles. So, for those of us who unfortunately later in life have developed allergies, yeah. it sucks because you get to have every so often about a 20 minute panic attack of, oh shit, am I getting it now? Am I going to be yeah, forced yeah, into like bullshit, legit quarantine? Time, it's the and same then, thing that happens to me every year, right? Exactly. The and then, you know, 20 minutes later, the shit goes away and you're like, okay, that was just my regular ragweed or whatever the fuck it is I'm allergic yeah. to. Uh, and the times he did it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about the sneezing, <laughs> folks. Um, I like it. It's great for the COVID episode. I, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, nineteen he he, uh, he did it in 1972, 1977, 1978, 1990, 1993, 2006, 2007, and 2013. More than any other actor or actress. Uh, he also... Uh, Which says a lot about how much the whole industry respects him. Yeah. Also, um, Batman created Bob Kane actually personally recommended him for the Joker in Batman. Says Greg. He also appeared... Um, Oh yeah, uh, he also appeared in uh, Tommy and uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Both of those films were nominated for Best Actress. Yep. Um, of course, Lu- uh, Lu- uh, Louise Fletcher actually won for Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, the character of Shipwreck on uh, <laughs> the char- yeah the character of Shipwreck on GI Joe is actually based on Jack Nicholson. Mm. So uh, he claimed his favorite favorite performances of his career include One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Batman, Hoffa. And as good as it gets, those are his favorites. You know, actually, speaking of as good as it gets, that mm-hmm. was one other one where he won Best Actor, and his actress also won. Helen Hunt won that year. That's right. Yeah, actually, I'm getting to that. There's a couple. There's a couple times when that happened. Um, when presenting the Best uh, Picture Oscar for Crash, uh, he was actually surprised. He thought Brokeback Mountain was going to win. I mean, look, the smart money was on it, but Crash was a killer film. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. And also, he attended uh, Chris Penn's funeral. Uh, in Culver City uh, a couple years back. Um, yeah, that was a bummer. Chris yeah. Penn was a great actor. Yes, he was, yeah. He was also considered for uh, the role of uh, Cy Parrish in One Hour Photo, but that role actually went to Robin Williams since we mentioned that. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, he had to stop promoting the departed because he had a neck injury. Uh, uh, he is actually uh, upset that most of his uh, footage in the movie uh, on one clear day you can see forever was cut. And actually, at one point, he actually had a, a musical number that he sung, but they hmm. cut that out too. Yeah, he is tied with uh, Walter Brennan and Daniel Day-Lewis for the most Oscar wins ever for a male actor. Uh, he appeared in uh, Batman with Pat Hingle. Uh, Pat Hingle is also in uh, the remake of The Shining in 97. I think it's a TV one with the dude from Wings. Well, they're doing it again right now. Yeah. Well, actually, I think technically it's supposed to be a sequel. Yeah. So No, they already did it. Dr. Sleep. Yeah. That, yeah. And uh, he shaved his head for the bucket list. He also described the Joker as a psychotic version of Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine actually named Jack as the great seducer. <laughs> uh, he, uh, <laughs> you know what actually would have been interesting yeah. since we're talking about Bugs Bunny cartoon with him? Yeah. If he'd have actually had the title role in Mask mm-hmm. instead of Jim Carrey. I think he's probably the only other actor who could have done it. Although at the time, no, 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 he was already getting old enough. Preface that. You, you said just Mask, The Mask. Sorry, The yeah. Mask. Because Mask is a whole other movie. That's right, yeah. <laughs> he's going to play Rocky Dennison. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a lifelong fan of uh, Bob Dylan and Louis Armstrong. He endorsed Hillary Clinton when she ran for president in 2008. He actually said she's the best man for the job. <laughs> uh, oh, good lord. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was funny. Uh, his uh, trademark glasses actually have prescription lenses. He's very short-sighted. <laughs> well, yeah. Then, you know, he's got a good excuse to wear them inside. Yeah. Until uh, most recently with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, he was actually the shortest actor to ever play the Joker in a live-action production. Because uh, I think Jack is like 5'10", Joaquin is like 5'8". And he is probably the most successful to ever play that that part. True. I'll give you that. And in 2009, they estimated his fortune at uh, $240 million. Uh, he also attended the funeral of uh, Senator Ted Kennedy. He waved the uh, green flag at the Indy 500 in 2010. He's, uh, he's been on the cover of GQ three times, 1981, 1990, and 1996. Uh, he actually, there's a lot of the stuff about him being the father. We actually kind of went over that a little bit. Um, oh, he has two grandsons through his first daughter, uh, Sean and Duke. Uh, he's the only actor to ever play the devil. Could, the you, ju- could you hold on? Could you imagine? Yeah. Grandpa Jack. I'll bet he's dope. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Grandpa Jack is dope. <laughs> oh shit, Grandpa Jack! Hey, how you doing, kids? <laughs> that, I bet some, that would be a blast. You want some candy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, please continue. All right, like I said, he's the only actor to ever play the devil, the Joker, and a werewolf. Uh, he's so been, far. So far, yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix got some room to run. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see him playing the... I, dude, I was just watching The Gladiator the other day. Mm-hmm. I can see him playing the devil. Yeah, I can too. He's creepy. Yeah. In the movie The Last Detail, his character actually says, Marines are really assholes, you know that? It takes a certain kind of sadistic temperament to be a Marine. Of course, later on in his career, he played a Marine in uh, A Few Good Men. No. Yeah. Uh, he was actually uh, interviewed twice for, by Playboy magazine. Like we mentioned before, he's an accomplished and well-paid ghostwriter. He's worked with 10 directors that have won the Best Director Oscar. Uh, Vicente Minnelli, uh, Mike Nichols, Roman Polanski, Milos Foreman, uh, Ilya Kazan, Warren Beatty, Tony Richardson, 
James L. Brooks, John Houston, and Martin Scorsese. Well, look, not to take too much away from those directors because everyone on that list is fantastic, mm-hmm. but there is a there is a theme there, right? Oh yeah, working with Jack. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, you can be a killer director, but if you don't have talent to work with, you ain't gonna get very far, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta have it all the way around. I mean, because it's like we always come back to it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. And if you can get Michael Jordan on your team. It's going to put you a lot closer to winning. That's right. <laughs> I love that. And also, uh, in recent years, uh, many fans have speculated because of the fact he's having issues with his memory, that that's the reason why he's had these long absences between projects. Yeah, uh, but, I, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't Obviously, I don't know Jack Nicholson because if I did, we'd be on set right now mm-hmm. somewhere else. But mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily true because when you get to a level like that, mm-hmm. guy's worth – quarter of a billion dollars mm-hmm. or pretty close to it mm-hmm. he's got his season tickets yeah he's an older dude a bunch of his buddies his his you know counterparts he came up with they've passed away yeah he's in a position where unless he likes it he didn't need to do shit yeah i mean if he decided you know what i'm gonna take you know a page out of supposedly robert redford's playbook and i'm just saying supposedly because just because he says he's retiring doesn't mean he's retired right you know i mean brad pitt keeps talking about he's gonna retire in four more movies but who the hell knows right I don't know that Jack Nicholson's necessarily got a memory problem so much as he just doesn't see anything that, you know, gets him going. True. I mean, look at the films the guy's doing. And he's got and look, and if you go on IMDb, if you look on the pro side, you can see he has stuff in development that they're looking at doing. True. Yeah. He's he's in a position where he gets to work, he doesn't have to. Now like we did with our last deep dive, we're gonna get into some of the films of Mr. Jack Nicholson. Now, like we do, uh, each time we do this kind of stuff, we do a top ten amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. And through that top ten, we kind of like narrow down which are the ones that kind of intersect on both lists. And we narrow it down to a top five. Now, the first of our top five, The Shining. Mm-hmm. Now, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall both uh, have expressed open resentment towards the reception of the film. Uh, they often didn't, they felt that, you know, it was uh, with critics and audiences solely crediting Stanley Kubrick's work for the film's success as opposed to, you know, ignoring the efforts of the actors and the crew and also the strength of uh, Stephen King's material. Um, they both said that uh, the role, their roles in The Shining was basically one of the hardest of their careers. Uh, Nicholson himself actually says Shelley Duvall's performance is the most difficult one he's ever seen an actress take on. And, and Shelley Duvall considers it the hardest one of her career. Now, if you actually look at the making of The Shining, which is on YouTube, mm. uh, you see several times where Shelley Duvall was actually in bad health and actually kind of passed out a couple times. But you see her, like, on the ground, they get her, like, you know, smelling salts and, you know, blankets and stuff. To, there's yeah. actually, there's a full-length uh, documentary room to, is it 213? Mm-hmm. I think it's what it is. It's, it's, the, it's whatever the room, I'm blanking on the room number. It's the room number that he walks into when he sees that, that first interaction with the ghost, the woman mm-hmm. in the tub. Mm-hmm freaking phenomenal and again i love these behind the scenes like these making was like the only other one comes to mind similar full tilt boogie about the yeah. making of from dust till dawn yeah you're gonna get a completely different deep dive look yeah. at the way in which a feature film gets made all of the internal politicking all of that in fact there's another one from uh, there was about apocalypse now i won't get into all of them there's a bunch yeah. of them out there but it's it's worth watching and you're gonna yeah. find some really creepy interesting yeah. stuff about this film i like i like the original one from 1980 just making the shining because you said yeah. you see a lot of jack you know behind the scenes you see a lot of shell of the ball behind the scenes and yeah they went through it for this movie man now for the scene where jack actually has to break down the bathroom door 
uh, the props department actually built a door that was could have been easily broken. But like I mentioned before, Jack was a, at one point a volunteer firefighter, so he went through the doors too easy. So they actually had to make stronger doors. And according to Shelley Duvall, the famous "Who uh, Here's Johnny" scene took three days to film. And sixty doors. Sixty fucking doors. <laughs> Damn. And look, that's what happens. You send a firefighter. And you see Jack like getting himself psyched up and ready each take just to do this shit too. It's like wow, man. It's and, an actor that's chewing the scenery. And also to get him in another agitated mood, he he ate only cheese sandwiches for two weeks, which he hates. So he just, that's all he ate. And he's just really pissed off. Method. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he lived with Angelica Houston, since we mentioned her before, at the time. Uh, she recalled that basically due, due to the long hours on the set with Stanley Kubrick, uh, Jack Nicholson would usually come home, went straight to bed, collapse into the bed, and immediately fall asleep, which is understandable. Um, actually, there's so many changes were made to the script that Jack Nicholson actually said he stopped reading. He just gets the new pages they give him every day. Well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. again, if you watch either one of those behind the scenes, yeah, you see, you'll, see, one, you'll see Kubrick sitting in the kitchen at with, a typewriter with his mom, just, just yeah. going. And also, there's another scene where you see him, uh, Kubrick, Jack Nicholson, and uh, Kubrick's mother. And he's talking oh, about yeah. that, yeah. yeah. And, and the mom's like, you're kidding, right? He's like, and both, Stan, both Stanley and Jack are like, no, he's not kidding. Like yeah, <laughs> like just just because he, they keep changing the shit. Uh, the one scene in the movie where you see Jack Nicholson throwing the tennis ball in the yeah. Overlook Hotel, that was Jack's idea. Apparently, the only thing they said in the script is that Jack is not working, so he improvised that. A lot, a lot of these different scenes where he's improvising, you know what I'm saying? But again, that goes to when you've got a certain level and quality of actor. We've gone over this a hundred times. We yeah. talk about comedy or anything else. Mm-hmm. So much of that spontaneous stuff because. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things in film school they try to get you into your head. You gotta have you gotta have the script. It's all about the script. It's all about the script. Well, yeah. as somebody who does a lot of writing like you do, yeah, the script's important. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the, the script is a roadmap. It's not the journey. True. And you gotta you gotta have that script to make sure you hit your key points. But you need room to explore those things because otherwise you're gonna mm-hmm. miss some really great moments like yeah. that. And also, Jack suggested uh, Scatman Carruthers for this movie because apparently yeah. they're friends. And um, I look, you got the shine. Scatman Carruthers. <laughs> Bowleg Scatman Carruthers. You got the shinning. <laughs> you mean shining sh- trying to get sued. <laughs> well, uh, Scatman Carruthers actually had a hard time making this movie because of the fact that Stanley Kubrick did so many goddamn takes for one scene. Uh, the next movie that he did after The Shining was a movie called Bronco Billy with Clint Eastwood, who in the opposite was actually famous for doing usually only one take for a scene. And apparently, Scatman Crothers actually broke down in tears and gratitude for the first scene where he's like, we're done? Because he had just got through working with Stanley Kubrick. Like, he's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy we're just doing one take. So Stanley Kubrick's on the one end, Clint yeah. Eastwood's on the other. It's like, you got one shot. Don't screw this up. Exactly. Uh, he was living in London at the time. And uh, also, Stanley Kubrick himself was not familiar with the whole phrase of here's Johnny from The Tonight Show because he lived in London. So he, he didn't get it. He, I mean, he moved there and he stayed there. Yeah, he actually he didn't get it. He also he almost nearly didn't use it. Uh, because of uh, Stanley Kubrick's demands on everybody, Jack Nicholson admitted uh, he had a good relationship with Stanley, but Shelley Duvall, it was a whole different uh, get down. Apparently, he picked on her more than anybody else. And you can actually see it, too, in the documentary. It's kind of messed up. Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, mm-hmm. again, this isn't, uh, well, I don't know. I, I, all I'm going to say about mm-hmm. it is looking mm-hmm. at it from the director's, the director's standpoint. Yeah. The character she's playing is supposed to be this just beaten and downtrodden and and 
basically, I mean, she's she's an abused woman. That's what she is. Yeah. Right. Like that character is an abused woman. Otherwise, like, I mean, could you imagine trying to sell this to to millennial women today? Oh no. I mean, I, I'm just thinking like my my wife or like you know some of the women I know like her that a strong independent woman. She'd yeah. be like, Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. I'm like I'm taking the kid and I'm going like the first time that he yeah. got an attitude. Be like, have fun up here by yourself, asshole. Yeah. Exactly. Like they would have gotten that snow cat and been yeah. gone. So that whole side of stuff, mm-hmm. it's in a in a sick sort of a way. Mm-hmm. It's the director kind of forcing her into a, almost a, a method acting state. And uh, speaking, of, since we're talking about that, uh, Jack Nicholson actually admitted that one scene where Jack snaps at Wendy for interrupting his writing was actually the most difficult scene in the movie for him because, in fact, he was a writer himself and he had gotten into actual similar arguments with his girlfriend. And he so when he was doing that scene, he drew um, memories of those arguments, and he add, he actually added the line, "Or if you come in here and you don't hear me typing, if I'm here, that means I'm working." He added that shit himself. So <laughs> that life was imitating art, yeah, art was, imitating life. Now, why don't you help me? <laughs> you can start helping me by getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> Light of my life. Yeah, uh, Stanley Kubrick's perfectionism actually extended. Uh, to the point where he will actually have the actors come in to do lighting for the scene, which is usually something done by stand-ins. And apparently Jack said this is the only time that any director has actually asked that of him in his entire career. And it's Stanley Kubrick, so he did it. Yeah. It's basically what? Like, you could do it for Kubrick, you do it for mm-hmm. Spielberg. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And uh, Philip Stone, the dude who played uh, the bartender, uh, talks about his scene in that movie with Jack Nicholson. He said, we shot it about 50, 60 times. Uh I would think like Jack Nicholson, we would always do a take and then Jack would, Stanley and I would sit down, look at it, take a look at the video. And then Jack would say, it was pretty good, wasn't it Stanley? Then Stanley was like, yeah, it was, let's do it again. <laughs> I really wonder what his shooting ratio was on this. Uh, they said at least, they said at some point, like at one point it was like 100 takes for one scene. Because, I mean, the, the thing is, one of the things I always tried to beat into us when we're, we're learning how to make film, mm-hmm. you want to be at about a 40 to 1. So that means you you at a maximum you don't want to shoot more than 40 minutes of film for every one minute that actually ends up on screen mm-hmm. so that's kind of a thing and one of the reasons they were hitting us with that super hard when i was going through school was we were just on the cusp of really going digital mm-hmm. like you had it in tv that was like the beginning of like the d5 all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um but you know when you when you go back and you look at it in his day it speaks volumes about how much the studio trusted and wanted a kubrick film because we're talking film stock, we're talking processing, we're talking dailies and going back and cutting. And so every last one of those things costs an insane amount of money. See, now we're on the flip side where it's super cheap. So the problem is you don't want to end up with a problem when you go to post where you have so much more stuff sitting there that you're not going to touch and you're not going to use because you're, you're basically paying for storage. And while storage is cheap, you're also paying someone to go back through those hours of footage and find what the best one or two circle takes might be for something. Yeah. Now, we sp- I talked about this a little bit earlier. Stephen King himself was very disappointed with this movie. Uh, he actually said in an interview, um, it's like if you have a great big Cadillac with no motor inside. You can sit in it. You can enjoy the smell of the leather upholstery. The only thing you can't do is drive it anywhere. So I would do everything different. The real problem is Stanley Kubrick set out to make a horror movie with no apparent understanding of the genre. Uh, everything about it screams from beginning to end. Uh, every, every, yeah, everybody, everything about the movie screams that from the beginning to the plot decisions to the final scene. 
In particular, Jack, uh, he actually hated the casting of Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. He felt that in the novel, it was pivotal that Jack was essentially a good man who was slowly being overcome by these forces of evil, who was fighting a losing battle with alcoholism. Uh, King was of the opinion that casting Jack Nicholson, who's known for playing unstable characters, Jack in the film is very much on the edge as soon as the story starts, and the character does not possess the in- inner goodness that is so vital to Jack in the novel. Uh, he actually wanted to, he actually wanted to cast uh, John Voight. Uh, that which would have been, which would have been yeah. good casting, but and you know part of why that was for him, why it was so personal. The idea behind it, the reason he did this, so Stephen King actually ended up in a position as a caretaker at some resort uh, up in Maine, if I remember correctly. Like he normally, you know, everything he does is in Maine because that's where he's from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it for him, the idea, the impetus behind him was when he himself was drying out, and so that was where the whole impetus the jumping off point the, the idea for this thing that was the the kernel that started and so he wrote it while he was himself drying out and trying to fight his own alcoholism so i think in a certain respect you end up in one of those situations where and you run into this with with actors directors writers everyone across the board anyone who's doing something creative if you put a certain amount of yourself into it and you're mm-hmm. more self-identifying yep. with a character than you maybe normally normally otherwise would and then it goes in a direction you don't like once it comes to the team sport of filmmaking, yeah. you start to take it extremely personal. Yeah. And also, um, well, while Jack was not uh, Stephen King's first choice for Torrance, uh, he was Stanley Cooper's first choice. Yeah. And also other actors considered for the role of Jack Torrance, Chevy Chase, Martin Sheen, Leslie Nielsen, and Christopher Reeve. I've also seen they looked at uh, Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. Yeah. Which would have been interesting. Out of all of the ones aside from him, the only person I could see with an interesting direction to still carry forward would have been John Voight, I think. I think I think Christopher Reeve could have did a good thing where he had the inner good, inner good guy because he kind of played something. Well, some, look, I can see yeah. him on the front side. Mm-hmm. I just don't know about managing the transition because he did, the biggest it, well, problem for us with Christopher, Christopher Reeve is that his career was cut so short. Yeah. Well, actually, so you have a very yeah. smaller body of work to look at. My thing is this: He did something similar in that movie Death Trap with him and uh, Michael Caine. I can yeah. see that. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe. Because he was we'll, like, "We'll never know." Yeah, we'll never know. Gotcha. All right, now in the bar scene with him and the bartender, uh, Jack yeah. has a line of dialogue: "I like you, Lloyd. You're always the best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine, for that matter." Now, this is actually from the novel, and actually. Uh, a reference to the whole city where they actually had the exteriors of the hotel. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, this is the first movie that Jack did since the terror in 1963. Uh, during the grueling shoot, uh, the Wimbledon tennis <laughs> tournament was actually in full swing in London, and Jack, <laughs> being an avid tennis fan, found a way to get out of uh, get out of uh, shooting to attend it. He basically faked back pain and asked for a few <laughs> days off uh, because his star status, uh, Stanley Kubrick, did grant on the break. Unfortunately for Jack, Stanley Kubrick actually watched Wimbledon <laughs> and saw Jack in the crowd flanked by two women. I believe uh, one of them was Angelica Houston. And, of course, he was furious about the whole thing. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Now, the film itself was released in uh, May of 1980 uh, in the U.K. in October of 1980. Um, like I said, uh, Stan, Stephen King highly criticized the movie for its deviations from the novel. But uh, basically, uh, 
critical opinion was more favorable and then now it's widely considered one of the greatest and most influential horror films ever made. Absolutely. And it's become a staple of pop culture. In 2018, this movie is actually selected by the Library of Congress for preservation. So, Yeah, I mean, it's out. a killer film. If you've not seen it, yeah. watch it. All right. Next movie, The Departed. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, great it's movie. First time with the great Scorsese. With the great Scorsese, yeah. Now, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's pretty much the real leader of the movie, he actually said that his one-on-one scene with Jack Nicholson was one of the greatest moments of his life. Oh, understandably so. And also, uh, Scorsese actually originally wanted Al Pacino for the role of Frank Costello uh, because of the fact uh, he had never actually worked with Pacino before. Now, Jack took it instead... But they will end up working with Pacino a little bit later, of course, this is the past year in The Irishman. So. Which, honestly, and, and again, like, oh, I love it, Pacino, but yeah. the biggest problem is yeah. it goes back to what Jack did that was brilliant when it mm-hmm. came to um, Godfather. Yeah. you got to have an Irishman play an Irishman. Mm-hmm. If for no other reason than, than the cadence and the you got to make sure that the linguistic side of it sounds right. Because the biggest criticism you got with The Irishman even though he worked with a dialogue coach, there's moments where he slips out of that Irish, mm-hmm. whereas even though he's not doing like a super, super heavy Boston Irish accent, yeah. you're still picking up enough of it, and he never slips into any kind of an Italian thing. Also, fun fact, both Pacino and Nicholson played Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, which actually, that was that was on my honorable mention. And again, that was an interesting connect because mm-hmm. with his boyhood friend DeVito. Yeah, that's right. That was the second time on film they were mm-hmm. playing buddies, essentially. And mm-hmm. this is the first time, I think only time, if I remember correctly, that DeVito's ever directed him. That's true. That is true. It's great. And again, if you haven't seen that, watch that one, yeah, too. Watch that's a great. Yeah. I mean, we'll give yeah, you a good list of movies to watch while you're quarantined. That's right. Now, when uh, Frank walks off with the Angel Kids, uh, the yacht that you see in the background is the same yacht that they used for Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street years later. <laughs> you got to uh, connect. Use it. Yeah. Uh, originally, Jack turned down this movie, but he met with Scorsese and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he was convinced to play the role. The main reason he uh, did the movie because, in fact, at that point he had done a couple of uh, comedies, and he wanted to play a villain again. And he considered Frank Costello to be the ultimate incarnation of evil. Well, and he, he essentially was a uh, a re-envisionment of Whitey Bulger. Yes, he was. Which I mean, you know, we can get into that some other day, but Black Mass, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to Ray Weinstein, uh, he and Jack Nicholson actually did not get along. I'm assuming Winstone, sorry. Him and Jack Nicholson did not get along during filming this movie. Jack also refused to wear a Boston Red Sox hat during the movie because of fact he's a Yankees guy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, it was Jack's idea to attend the opera. It was also uh, Jack Nicholson's idea. It was also Nicholson's idea to have one black woman and one white woman in the scene with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jack Nicholson, he had, like I said, he joined it because of fact he was looking for a nice, juicy bad guy to play. The film features three Oscar winners, Jack himself, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Matt Damon. also has three nominees, Mark Wahlberg, uh, Alec Baldwin, and uh, Vera Farmiga. Yep. Yeah. Now, uh, whenever you hear the song Sweet Dreams by Patsy Cline, it's usually in a scene with Jack Nicholson in that movie. Yep. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the, crypt, the Departed itself was actually a huge critical and commercial success. It won several awards, including four Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Now, the movie itself grossed uh, $132 million in the U.S. and Canada, $159 in other territories for a total gross of uh, $291 million versus, versus a budget of $90 million. 
which actually makes it the, the third most commercially successful film of Scorsese's career. That's right. Cool. All right. Uh, you have anything else for the party? I mean, the, the only other note I'd put in there is that once they actually got uh, Jack Nicholson in, they went and did a big rewrite, another polish on it, mm-hmm. uh, to increase Frank's part and to make it larger, which makes a ton of sense because if you have... If you're going to have a Jack Nicholson in there, you want to make sure you get your money's worth. And, I mean, yeah. again, for me, if we go through Scorsese's entire body of work, yeah. um, I don't think it's the one that he should have gotten uh, best director for, not without getting it for several others. Yeah. We can go down this Goodfellas Casino. I mean, mm-hmm. Aviator, for that matter. I mean, he's he's an absolute tour de force he as a director. He, he definitely should have got a Goodfellas. But this film if, if he could have gotten credit for the others as well this film would have de- definitely been up there because it, it's a solid flick yeah it is yeah. and honestly it's one of the only ones that's looked at the whole concept mm. because he's always mm. you know obviously he's most known for these mob kind of movies right these New yeah. York story kind of movies but there's always some sort of an organized crime element to it mm-hmm. this is the first one that's really looked at in a deep way the concept of a rat mm. but not just from the concept of the rat who's working for the cops but but the, the duality of it, a, a, a rat who's working for the bad guys who's with the cops, that, that back and forth and kind of almost this like weird nexus where the, the philosophy is of both the bad guys and the cops, you know, the good guys ostensibly in this, where they intersect. It's a really interesting film. It's very cerebral, and you, you don't normally get that with these kind of films. Yeah. Uh, next film on the list, Anger Management, which I was surprised I made both our lists. But like, Dude, I, that's I, a I, great I, film. I like that movie, though. Yeah, I like it's that movie. It's a great film. Anger Management is actually... Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson together, which is an interesting combo in itself. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Adam plays this downtrodden character. He's like kind of a wuss, and he's basically being browbeaten by you know his boss and pretty much most of the aspects of life. So he gets a person to kind of help him get that aggressive side out of him. Well, yeah. What what happens? It's not so much that he gets a person, yeah. so much as uh, his wonderful sweet girlfriend Marissa Tomei yeah. forces him into an anger management program. Mm-hmm. Which he doesn't even find out about till the end. It's a great reveal the way they set it up. Yeah, and uh, the the guy that they get is a uh, Buddy Rydell, played by Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Now I do have a lot of favorite scenes in this movie. My two particular ones that I go back to uh, often is the uh, first one is them in the car singing uh, "I Feel Pretty" from <laughs> West Side Story. I love that. I've, Rogers I've... and Hamstein's West Side Story. I feel pretty. And I've, every pulled, time, I've pulled that out several times when I'm having I a bad day. I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay. And I pity any girl who isn't me today. La 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 la. <laughs> that shit is funny. Dude, it's killer, man. Yeah. And then another one I like is when they go to the Buddhist thing. They're like, and he was saying to me that how can like uh, we had a conversation about Buddha. Oh, you you talked about Buddha? Yeah, yeah. He said, "How can somebody who weighs four hundred pounds teach me about no, self discipline? How can he have the balls to talk to people about self control? Yeah, yeah, it makes them snap. <laughs> they get into a fist fight with these Buddhist monks. Yeah, that, yeah. But it was a great movie. Now, um, now when Buddy picks up the golf club and a baseball bat before choosing the baseball bat to smash a window of the Lexus, this is actually referring to the incident we talked about in '94 where he oh, did yeah. the same thing to a guy's window." <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Harry Dean Stanton actually makes a cameo in this movie as the blind old man with the cane. Yep. And that's done at Jack Nicholson's suggestion because he loves Harry Dean Stanton. 
And uh, the film itself is actually number one at the box office when it debuted in 2003, earning uh, $42 million, earned uh, $135 million in the U.S., and the total worldwide box office was uh, $195 million. <laughs> so do you have any other anger management facts? I mean, we can, we can go on and on about favorite scenes in it, but I'd feel bad because it would be ruining for people. I mean, there's yeah. there's jokes about the Red Sox in it, which are killer that are yeah. in there. There's some my, One of my favorite moments is when he's first moved in with, with Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. and he's... He's taking all of their all of his CDs off the mm-hmm. off the shelf and throwing them out. He's like, "No, I'm taking this away." He's like, why, "Why are you taking that away?" He says, "I don't want you listening to angry music." And he goes, "The Carpenters are angry." Okay. Don't don't be naive. We've only just begun. These are songs of lunacy and madness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the whole uh, running joke of like, he's with the guy and he's talking about like, they like he's like ashamed of his dick size or whatever, something like yeah. that. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. He's telling him. <laughs> He's telling him, um, if you're unable to stop masturbating, please do so without the use of any any images depicting quote unquote angry sex. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, man. It's a killer film. Yeah. I, I've already probably ruined too much. No, of it, but check out check out I, anger management. Folks. And there's some great great cameos that appear in it. It is, yeah, actually are. Yeah. yeah. Now next one, this is a big favorite of mine, Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Film noir, man, at its best, dude. Like freaking Jad Nicholson playing Private Eye J.J. Giddis in 1937, uh, Los Angeles, uh, getting caught up into this whole murder mystery get down, man. It's well, really... this is this is that episode or that episode that uh, film mm-hmm. that cemented him mm-hmm. as a Hollywood A-lister. Because I mean, at this point, he was already he was already making some waves. Mm-hmm. He'd already been nominated for some awards. Like he was there, but for him yeah. and for the producer Robert Evans, yeah, this was. What basically made them untouchable in town? I like when uh, the uh, lady comes in. I think my husband is having an affair. He's like, "No, really." (laughs) (laughs) I just like how he's. I like that reading. No, no, really. (laughs) Do you love your husband? Then forget all about this. (laughs) 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 There's a great character, man. Now, at the uh, um, at the time of filming, Jack Nicholson had just embarked on that long relationship he had with Angelica Houston. He also has uh, scenes with her father in this movie, John Houston, mm-hmm. uh, who played Noah Cross, uh, pretty much the main bad guy of the movie. Now, one particular scene that was very uncomfortable because like, Angelica actually came to the set one day was the scene where they're like at the uh, at Noah Cross's house and they're having lunch, and he point blank asks J.J. Gittes, Mr. Gitz, yeah, he kept, kept pronouncing his last name, Mr. Gitz, did you sleep <laughs> with my daughter? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, well, uh, Jack, J.J. Giddens didn't, Jack Nicholson did. <laughs> so, um, also, uh, another great scene in the movie, uh, the one part where, like, uh, they're, uh, they're at uh, Evelyn's uh, secret house or whatever. Uh, after several takes that didn't look right, Faye Dunaway actually, Faye Dunaway actually got annoyed and told Jack, Jack Nicholson that legit slapper, which he does in the movie. And he's like, he lays into it. He actually, Jack he Nixon, felt bad. Yeah, yeah, he felt guilty about it because he didn't want to do that. Even but. though it was her choice, he's like, it still felt. But I mean, it, it, look, mm-hmm. if you watch the film, it yes. sells. Yes, it does. He slapped the hell out of her, man. Like, God damn. <laughs> and um, the one character in this movie, of course, that's present in every single scene is Jack Nicholson as Jack Giddis. So, uh, the screen. Well, you know, part of why, right? Yeah. It's, be- it's because it was actually written for Jack. Like, yeah. Robert Town, from the mm-hmm. moment he started, he's like, it's going to be Jack. Yeah, and they filmed it entirely from pretty much J.J.'s, Jack's perspective. 
Jake's perspective, excuse me. What's really fucked up is mm-hmm. if you watch it now mm-hmm. and you try to put modern politics on it, it might still be going on. Because yeah. this whole thing's about this dirty, underhanded thing going on to play around with the water in Los Angeles and so water rights. Bad, we just replaced that with goddamn coronavirus. Dude, you could do it, you could do it with water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we still have it's, that, it's, man. Yeah, I know. Just wait for the next drought. Yeah, God, man. <laughs> the screenplay itself is actually regarded as one of the most perfect screenplays ever written. And it actually has been made a, made a main teaching point in several screenwriting seminars and classes. Actually, uh, at one point, they actually did it in the class I went to. I was going to say, if, if you've taken mm-hmm. any kind of filmmaking yeah. classes whatsoever and they didn't teach this, you You've been done a disservice. Yeah, this is a, it is, a, and I've read the script itself. It is fantastic. Too. It's a good read. I love. I just. I love writing. Love reading screenplays myself, and it's a very good read, man. Even by itself. Now, the scene where Roman Polanski actually slits Jack Nicholson's nose is extremely difficult to film, and uh, actually, both Roman and Jack got tired of explaining how it was done. They actually used a special knife with a short hinge that, you know, made it safe so, like, it could be handled carefully and it had, it had a little thing on it that released the blood and shit. But they just said, you know, fuck it. Yeah, we actually cut his nose. <laughs> that's what. That's how we filmed it. You, uh, you get bored after a while. Exactly. Uh, at one point, Jack and Roman actually got into an argument because uh, Roman actually smashed a TV that Jack, uh, that, uh, Jack was looking at with a mob. Jack would stop and look at Lakers games and it was stall filming, and yeah, Roman had enough. He just like, <laughs> said, fuck it, no, we're filming. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, it's possible that Roman Polanski has impulse control issues. You think? <laughs> Google Roman Polanski, get back to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Now, the actual film's in- uh, title is a metaphor for moral corruptions by unseen forces. Yep. Now, throughout the movie, um, Jake, Jake, uh, Jake Giddis refers to his time as a police officer in Chinatown, where like you can't always tell what's going on, and always saying like you know what I'm saying like uh, what do you what were you doing in Chinatown as little as possible, mm-hmm. and then the the ending of the movie the, the the line at the end forget it Jake it's Chinatown has since become a mantra about being burned and snubbed, particularly by the entertainment industry like pretty much the implication is you better it's better to just let it, let it go than to make an issue out of it because that's you just how the industry go works. along to get a, get along that's just how it works man. So. For me, the, the the and even though that that line is seminal, for me, the line I remember the most: my mother, my sister, my mother, my sister. No, my daughter. Or my daughter. Sorry, my mother, my daughter, my mother, my daughter. She's my sister and like, she's my sister and my whatever daughter. it was. Yeah. I, I just that whole thing, the back and forth, where she can't make up her mind. And then like oh so when she stops and kind of indicates what's going on, like yeah, my father and I, and then she just gives him a look. You understand? Yeah. Like she didn't have to say what it was, but he got it. Probably the first, if not the only major motion picture to ever deal with the really fucked up world of incest in any way, shape, or form. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still a great film, though. Very great film. And yeah. look, that that piece mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. it's important, but it's a smaller piece, so you can watch it without yeah. being grossed out. Yeah. As uh, as far as the making of it goes, Roman Polanski had always at one point wanted to do a movie with Jack Nicholson, but he couldn't find the right property. Now, Roman, uh, as luck would have it, uh, Robert Evans... Uh, wanted Roman Pulaski for this movie because, in fact, he felt that uh, Roman's European vision of the United States could make the movie come across as darker and more cynical, which it does. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, also, um, <laughs> uh, while uh, Robert, yeah, both uh, Robert Evans and Jack Nicholson were lobbying for Roman Polanski to make this movie, uh, he actually had second thoughts because, of the fact, he didn't want to come out to L.A. after the whole thing with Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. and which is understandable. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, Jack Nicholson uh, said that he actually disliked the ending of this movie because of how dark it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and again, like we were kind of, I was intimating before when we were talking about how that he, he changed the ending of uh, Bucket List to make it a little brighter. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense because, I mean, you know, if you're, you can get down to and you can argue back and forth about the artistic merits of one version over another. Mm-hmm. But this is the intersection of art and commerce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, he's obviously got a good eye for stuff that's commercially successful. Just look at his mm-hmm. career. Yeah. Both Robert Town and Jack Nicholson's favorite actor in this movie was actually John Houston because they felt he made Noah Cross so menacing but also nice. Yeah. You know <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a reasonable reasonable position to take on the film. Yeah, and also uh, Noah Cross's uh, John Houston's mispronouncing of the name. Get, he can, what's up, Mister Gitz? <laughs> yeah, it's Gittis. Yeah, that actually wasn't in the script. And uh, sometimes you got to roll with it. But just because of the fact that John Houston himself couldn't get it right, so Roman Polanski had Jad Nicholson wrote, uh, add the line of uh, correcting him. And it just pretty much just became a recurring gag throughout the movie. There was a there was a what was it uh, Donnie Darko? Yeah. There's a there's a scene where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is walking home from school with this girl. She's talking. He's talking to her, to her about she's new or something, and mm-hmm. she's mispronouncing this teacher's name. Mm-hmm. And apparently, when they were trying to shoot it, she legitimately kept mispronouncing the name they went. And so they finally just did a small rewrite where Jake Gyllenhaal corrects her. And, uh, and then continues on with the scene. So at a certain point, you know what I mean? It kind of adds an authenticity to it. Yeah. And it, it puts it puts your lead character in a more controlling position because obviously they're the only one who truly gets what's going on. Now, some of the honors that actually became the Chinatown, it was voted the fourth greatest movie of all time by Entertainment Weekly. The line, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown, is, wrote, is uh, quoted as uh, number 74 in the all-time great movie quotes by the American Film Institute. Uh, the only scene that John, uh, Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, and John Houston appear in the movie together is the last scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's also the only scene of the movie where it's actually shot and filmed in Chinatown. Um, Which, in the original screenplay, mm-hmm. nothing took place in Chinatown. No, it didn't. It was a good rewrite. Yeah. Uh, in uh, 2008, it was ranked number two on uh, AFI's list of the greatest mystery films of all time. Uh, also, AFI ranked it as the 21st greatest movie of all time. Uh Jack Nicholson actually has shirts made with the name Jake Giddis on it uh, that he used throughout the movie so that he would get into the proper character more easily. Uh, the year that the movie is placed, 1937, is actually the same year that Jack Nicholson was born. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the name Jake Giddis is actually named after Jack Nicholson's friend, uh, producer Harry Giddis. Uh, like I said, this movie is actually voted in the... Uh, National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in 1991. Uh, the film also features four Oscar winners, Jack, Faye Dunaway, John Houston, and Roman Polanski, and three nominees, Burt Young, Diane Ladd, and Joe Mantel. Uh, it was actually uh, listed among AFI's 1998 list of the top 100 greatest movies of all time. Angelica Houston actually was dating Jack Nicholson at the time, and actually... Uh, her sister Allegra uh, will come to the set, but Allegra was only ten at the time, so she Angelica purposefully kept Allegra away from uh, from uh, John Houston when he was doing his films because the fact he was the bad guy. He, she, he didn't yeah, want don't to don't doesn't want to have Grandpa have a problem. Exactly, and uh, the whole thing about you know Evelyn Moray uh, admitting that you know this is my sister and my daughter is actually very prescient to Jack because of his whole family situation. You know, yeah. So, so yeah. 
Uh, you have anything else for Chinatown? No, man. I mean, not without ruining it. Yeah. You got to sit down and watch it if you haven't seen it. Great fucking movie. Great Fantastic. Movie. Another great movie. Next movie on our list. A few good men. Mm-hmm. That's another damn good movie. Well, this is man. this is the last one for our uh, our group, and then we got two honorable mentions. That's right. Yeah. So this is the last one. Uh, Jad Nicholson himself repeated the courtroom scene. The courtroom monologue is Colonel Jessup off camera several times, so Rob Reiner could actually film the reaction of the other actors uh, from various angles. And uh, <laughs> Jack himself said the uh, the actual on camera one was filmed last. But according to uh, Rob Ryan and all the other cast members, Jack gave it the same way every time, even as if he was on camera. And he apparently was quite spent by yeah, the time he finished. He's, well, I mean, if you've, if you've seen that scene, which I can't imagine how you could be at all a fan of pop culture and not seen at least oh, that yeah. scene out of context. Yeah. It is a massive undertaking. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. But just all, all the shit he talks about. Oh, right? yeah. uh, did you have a clothes, you know, change of underwear? I brought some uh, some uh, essential items and a change of clothes. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the three numbers. Uh, I talked to this person in this committee. I want to talk to this senator. And the last one was to my sister. Why'd you make that call? I wanted to see if she wanted to have dinner. <laughs> please please tell me this isn't what yeah. their lawyers have pinned hey, their hey, hopes hey, to. And, 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 uh, my, my, a phone call? My second favorite line of that particular <laughs> thing was uh, the, I believe Santiago's life was in danger. Grave danger? Is there any other kind? <laughs> it's such a, like, such a dick. <laughs> honestly, of, of all of the movies I can think of, mm-hmm. writing-wise, mm-hmm. one of the best, oh, if yeah. not the best, because the mm-hmm. writing and the exchange between him and Tom Cruise and oh, that, my God, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We use words like honor, code, yeah, honor, courage, code. We use these words that have a defined lifestyle. You use them as a punchline. In the end, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. <laughs> I love that line. Too. I just assume you pick up pick up a weapon, weapon and stand in a post. E- uh, uh, or if not, get out of my way. Either yeah, way, yeah, I don't I care. Damn. No, I, either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. <laughs> Man, that's a good scene. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's, uh, oh, yeah, Tom Cruise's Jack Nicholson impression when he does it in the movie was not scripted. That's just Tom Cruise's fucking around. <laughs> and uh, apparently Demi Moore and Kevin Pollock's reaction was, was legit. And they just oh, kept yeah, it, it, it was genius. It was great. They kept it in the movie. Now, the line we've been talking about, you can't handle the truth, was voted number 29 on FI's list of greatest quotes of all time. Jack Nicholson himself was paid $5 million for 10 days work. Uh, he basically worked an extra morning for free. Worth uh, every penny. Yeah. And he said, yeah, he said it was the first time he felt it was uh, one of the times he felt it was money well spent. Uh, Rod, uh, Jack Nicholson himself actually noticed when he walked in through the uh, first rehearsal that the rest of the cast was rushing to the seats because they were so excited. Like, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and Jack Nicholson after, I, uh, after that I told Rob Rob that felt so strange I felt like the fucking Lincoln Memorial <laughs> I blushed actually <laughs> well you know a big part of the reason why this was such brilliant on the writing was it was an Aaron Sorkin film yes it was and it was actually based off of his first play yeah Mm-hmm. And Aaron Sorkin I mean look whether regardless of your politics like him or love him mm-hmm. the West Wing killer show mm-hmm. and then another one which I'd say the first uh, probably four to five actually the first half of what they actually shot for Studio 60 mm-hmm. fantastic show about basically working on Saturday Night Live yeah 
So, and again, you can go and go all the way to Charlie Wilson's War, Facebook, well, social networks, what they called it, right, when it came out. Yeah. The man is without peer in a large way, if you ask me, when it comes to um, when it comes to writers in, in the business. I mean, it's just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Now, in terms of, uh, sorry, we had a little snafu here. We're working on a new setup. Hopefully, this is sounding better since we got a dual mic. Yes. All right. Now, um, Rob Reiner himself, oh, sorry, Jack Nicholson actually appears in this movie only four times, mm-hmm. only in four scenes. The last of which was the famous You Can't Handle the Truth Court Meltdown, which itself lasted 21 minutes. Uh, Steven Spielberg actually provided some dialogue for this movie, including You Can't Handle the Truth. That's a Steven Spielberg line. So, Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Now, this movie ranked number five on the uh, top ten greatest courtroom drama movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Kevin Pollack uh, said this about Jack Nicholson. He is the party. No yep. one had more fun. And apparently Kevin Pollack's mom was in the uh, crowd when they were doing the trial scene. And apparently she hit on Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I mean, I guess his, Kevin's dad doesn't care. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rob Ryder himself said landing Jack Nicholson for this role is like having Babe Ruth on his team. Again, what we were talking yeah, about Yeah, we before, talked about it earlier. If you've yeah. got the GOAT, yeah. it's going to take you a long way. Now, if all you have is the GOAT, it mm-hmm. might not get you all the way across the line. But if you got him and you got a solid team, you got Scottie Pippen, you got Horace Grant, yeah. you got Phil Jackson, you're going to get there. That's right, man. Yeah. Now, Gene Hackman actually turned down the role of Nathan Jessup because he was, ma- he was busy making... Uh, Unforgiven, uh, Little Bill Daggett. You know what? Another, I gotta say, it another was a killer, good decision. Another killer role. It was a great decision. And of course, Gene Hackman actually won the Oscar for this particular role. And then actually, him and Jack competed for uh, Best Supporting Actor for this particular year. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it worked out for good for everybody, man. Oh man. Um, actually, several people in this movie were actually at one point in uh, Stephen King adaptations. Jack Nicholson was in The Shining. Kiefer Sutherland was in Stand By Me. Rob Reiner directed Stand By Me and Misery. And also uh, J.T. Walsh, who played the the dude that killed himself, was actually in Needful Things. Oh, yeah, that's right. It also has a small cameo in Misery. Now, the line, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, was uh, originally written in the script as, you want me on that wall, you need me there. But Jane, it was either changed by Jack Nicholson or Rob Reiner. I think more likely Jack Nicholson. Probably, but whoever. It yeah. was great. It's still a great change, yeah. Now, um, Rob Reiner and Jack Nicholson reunited uh, again to make the bucket list, which we talked about a couple yeah. times. Um, this movie featured three Oscar winners, Jack, uh, Cuba Gooden Jr., and Aaron Sorkin, and one nominee, Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson himself actually starred in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was uh, produced by Michael Douglas, actor Michael Douglas. Uh, Nicholson and Douglas starred together again in The American President, and also Aaron Sorkin wrote the screenplay for both of those movies. Hmm. So, yeah. And Rod Reiner also directed The American President. So, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I mean, it goes to what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Once you build those relationships, once you, you have that mm-hmm. network, yeah. you're going to keep going back to the same people that have been serving you well. Speaking of which, uh, Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise actually both work with Stanley Kubrick for different movies. Jack Nicholson worked with him on The Shining. Tom Cruise worked with him on Eyes Wide Shut, that mm-hmm. freaky-ass movie. Look, there's not a Kubrick film that isn't freaky in one way or another. True. I'll give you that. Yeah. Now, let's go ahead and get into our honorable mentions. I'll go ahead and get off on mine first. 
because I'm a huge fan of this movie. It's probably my favorite Jack Nicholson movie. I wonder why. Wolf. <laughs> I have a thing for werewolves. I like I like werewolf movies that are done right, and this is one of them. And like, in fact, a lot of people are huge fans of this movie. I think Jordan Peele is actually a huge fan of this movie, mm-hmm. which is why when we get to our werewolf thing, I would love to pitch that to fucking Jordan Peele's company because I think he would dig on that. So, I mean, I can't imagine him turning it down. Exactly. Um, Jack Nicholson actually had been trying to get Wolf made with his friend John Harrison, Jim Harrison for like 12 years prior to the movie. Now, this is a werewolf movie, but the actual phrase werewolf is never mentioned in the movie. They either refer to the creature as the wolf or the demon wolf. You know what I'm saying? And actually, the great scene with um, uh, um Paris with him and Jack, I love, that's probably my favorite scene in the movie, when he goes over the rules of being a werewolf and all this other shit. It's a really great scene. Now, when Michelle Pfeiffer expressed interest in doing this film, both uh, Mike Nichols, the director, and the screenwriters wanted the stro- wanted the part to be stronger because of fact it's Michelle. Now, initially, it's basically just a woman in danger. They they talked about making her either an animal rights activist or a doctor, you know, that would give her sort of a connection to Jack's character. Uh, but they basically just decided to span, expand on the fact that she's in conflict with her father, who is also Jack's boss. And, uh, yeah. So they, they went that route. Now, uh, in the scene where Will Randall, played by Jack Nicholson, actually has the scene where he's like in his office and he's starting to do an experiment to see how cute all his senses are. He goes to like his balcony and he hears all the different people in all the different departments, you know, listening to, uh, you know, the conversations from far away. There's actually a little mechanism in his ear that's making his ear prick up like a wolf. And that was actually done by Rick Baker. And it's crazy to see because his ears are like kind of like mm, doing like this yeah. as he's doing it. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Again, the great Rick mm-hmm. Baker. Yeah. And uh, Jack Actually, Nichols, you know what? Yeah. Sorry. We yeah. should do a show just about Rick Baker. I think that might be our next show. Okay. I'm down with that. About Rick Baker. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Mike Nichols was uh, Jack's first and, well, well, one of uh, Jack's main choices for the director of this movie. Now, uh, since we talked about Rick Baker. Jack told Rick Baker that he was actually allergic to spirit gum. <laughs> if you don't know anything about makeup, yeah. that's like telling uh, telling a director that you're allergic to film. It's like, okay. Yeah, because everybody uses so, it. Everybody uses it for special effects. I guess we're shooting digital. <laughs> yeah. Now, Rick Baker didn't initially believe him, but he did agree to use a special medical adhesive on Jack Nicholson, uh, you know, which may, you know, land hair on him and all the different stuff on him a little more difficult than using spirit uh, spirit gum, but it worked. Now, one particular day, he had just made James Spader up in some spirit gum. Rick Baker unintentionally used the same bottle of spirit gum on Jack Nicholson. Ooh. Baker himself realized that what he had done, and then like he he actually hoped that Jack wouldn't you know see that you wouldn't know, notice. Yeah, notice. However, the next day, he came in there, and Jack Nicholson had giant uh, red welts and shit all over his face. Uh, and uh, proof that he actually is allergic. Yeah, Nicholson said that. Ricky boy, you used spirit gum, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then Rick apologized for the confusion, and Jack Nichols just said, well, let's just hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> and, of course, it didn't happen again. No. <laughs> I just love his reaction to that, though. This was the last horror movie that Jack Nicholson has made to date. Um, the scene where he, like, um, as a werewolf hunts down a deer was actually filmed day for night. You can see he's very clearly doing yeah. the day. Well, I mean, it's it's really hard 
whether whether or not you've ever ever paid attention to it, mm-hmm. this all goes back to when you're shooting film, right? And it's one of the things that they were getting to, and they were getting better and better and better over the years mm-hmm. with actually coming up with film emulsion that can pick up in that low light. So if you watch a lot of older films, you'll see day for night all the time. Yeah. Because a handful of times where they didn't, like I'm I'm thinking. Um, it was one of the Dirty Harry movies. There's a scene where it's not even technically day for night. It's mm-hmm. indoors, but there's no lighting. Because oh, yeah. it's supposed to be in like an old, like, you know, abandoned building, something like that. Mm-hmm. When you get into those sort of situations, it's really difficult to figure out a way to help the audience understand what the character is experiencing, but have it pick up on something that is literally entirely dependent on capturing light. That's mm-hmm. where that contrast comes from. So it's it, it can get a little interesting. Yeah. Now, um, Jed Nicholson... Michelle Pfeiffer and Richard Jenkins all appeared together in The Witches of Eastwick a couple years prior. Uh, this was the last collaboration between Mike Nichols and Jack Nicholson. Uh, Jennifer Jennifer Nicholson, Jack's daughter, is actually an office player in one of the movies. Like I said, she does cameos in this, in this stuff. Now, uh, contrary to popular belief, the entire third act of the movie was not reshot. Um, there's one shot where you see the werewolf Jack uh, hopping on some bars and, like, you know, helping... Help! Oh shit! I'm gonna say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sorry. And uh, helping Laura out because she's about to be attacked by James Spader. That's the one thing they reshot, and that that cost apparently the cost of that shot was like nearly a million dollars, which referred which Nick, Mike Nichols referred to as seven hundred thousand dollars worth of aspirin for the studio. Basically, yeah. Uh, now, one version of the script actually had uh, a fully transformed Jack Nicholson being kept in a secluded property with. Uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character making periodic visits by helicopter. So, they had that. Uh, in the original script, uh, Jack Nicholson's character was supposed to be a lawyer, but they changed it to a publisher because it felt it was a fresher approach. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in terms of the makeup itself, and I actually picked up on this myself, Rick Baker actually based the uh, werewolf uh, effects on Jack Pierce's work on the original major werewolf movie, Werewolf of London. Mm-hmm. Which had very minimalistic like werewolf effects compared to most other movies. It's pretty much just like the hair and the fangs, and they did some stuff to kind of like make the face a little more art, uh, articulated and whatnot. That very little, very subtle stuff. Uh, he also had like a pretty much, and he also had the pointed ears and like a little piece between his brow. Uh, James Spader of the two had the more facial ap- apparatuses than Jack Nicholson because of the fact that they felt his face needed a little more structure to give some more power to it, uh, which you can see in the movie. He's a little more animated, a little more transformed than Jack. But actually, funny enough, watching this movie made me realize that a Wolverine movie could be made. Because if you look at Jack, Jack looks like fucking Wolverine. Oh, yeah. Like straight up Wolverine. I was like, he has the hair and the horns and everything, like comic book Wolverine, like an old, like old man Logan. Yeah. You know, he pretty much looks like that back in like 90 fucking five, which is crazy. <laughs> and also, um, the scene where uh, Jack Nicholson urinates on <laughs> urinates on James Spader's shoes was actually uh, is it's more or less a contrast between the two uh, actors itself, the two screenwriters. Um, the whole thing of him pissing is Jim Harris Jim Harrison's idea. Whereas uh, after that, after that, when he's like talking to the mirror, that's more like the other guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then at one point during the. Um, Werewolf scene. He mentions that uh, the um, the Ampere um, character mentions that uh, the wolf was, the, night, the night that uh, Jack Nicholson was bitten as a werewolf, the moon was closest to the Earth it had been in uh, a hundred years, which is actually true. 
Hmm. Apparently on March 8th, 1993, it was the date of a super uh, perigee moon. Which was okay. the, yeah, so it actually did happen. Uh, Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer both be, both, both in Batman movies. Uh, Jack Nicholson was in Batman. Michelle Pfeiffer was in Batman Returns. Uh, let's see if there's any other facts about Wolf. But blah, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah, the last scene where uh, it's insinuated that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is also a werewolf, too. Hmm. Now, they said this could be a combination of two things. And they don't think it's necessarily a bite. But they said it was more like more likely during the um, transmission when they had sex, mm. and also another thing that they're saying that film is a person also has to have a wolf-like aspect in their personality in order for the creature to come out. So that's why they did that. Wolf won the uh, Saturn Award for best writing and uh, actually grossed over 131 million dollars worldwide. It's not bad. Yeah. Uh, as far as awards go, Jack Nicholson has actually won more Academy Awards. Well, like he's tied for most Academy Awards ever won by an actor. He's won for over a uh, One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, as good as it gets in terms of endearment. He's also won several Golden Globes. Uh, as far as his honors go, uh, yeah. as far as his honors go, he's actually ranked as number six in the. Uh, well, top 100 movie stars of all time by Empire Magazine. He received the Lifetime Achievement Award from AFI when they still aired it. He's a Kennedy Center uh, honoree. Uh, he has actually filmed in uh, several films where Best Actress actually won for uh, for his movie. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Turns of Endearment, and As Good As It Gets. He's been nominated in, uh, for an Oscar in five different decades. Uh, he's the first actor to receive the uh, Stanislavski Award. Uh, he's actually one of two actors to receive the Best Supporting Actor Oscar after winning Best Actor. The other one is Gene Hackman. He's a 12-time acting nominee, uh, and many of his performances have been ranked on the greatest performances of all time. Uh, Billy Badass, uh, Randall uh, McMurphy, Jack Torrance, and also um, uh, Jake Giddis. And again, like, like Jack himself has had so many awards. And I'm looking at this, he's in different Hall of Fames. Uh, had all these different, uh, he's been in several movies that have won Best Picture. Uh, he's won uh, several movies with uh, James L. Brooks that have won him the Academy Award. He's had the longest gap between first and second Best Oscar wins, 22 years. He's in six films that have been um, uh, preserved by the Library of Congress. Easy Rider, Fight. Uh, five Easy Pieces, Chinatown, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Shining, and Broadcast News. And also, uh, he is inducted into the California Hall of Fame by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he also has an honorary doctorate uh, from Brown University. Yep. Well, and, and look, to wrap it all up real quick here, because as we uh, often have happened, we're running low on battery. I'll mm-hmm. say uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, there's a great documentary. I believe it's on YouTube you can watch right now. Um, that film is one of only three films to sweep all the major categories best director best actor best actress um, best best picture fantastic flick and uh, just a brilliant show so with that I think uh, we can wrap it up alright so folks uh, join us next week we'll have another great discussion for you uh, this is Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ I'm JD and I'm AJ Dropping we'll see you next time Dropping That Culture Dropping That Culture Dropping That